Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? You think that there's a good chance, I suspect, that Antonio Conte is the man. Tottenham finished second. Ooh. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it is Wednesday morning. It's just gone half past seven. It's OTB AM. Nathan with you this morning. Johnny Ward in studio as well. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Nathan. I don't know if we've ever actually done OTB AM together. I don't think so. I was just thinking I I haven't sat in the presenter seat of OTB AM in several years. And usually I'm very relaxed when I come in. Usually sort of feed up somebody else's problem all the bits and pieces you got to do and then as this thing was playing I was like oh, <laughs> oh let me go from here well you didn't sleep that well last night you're telling me as well the pressure, so it's, the pressure, it's the pressure isn't it um, I just had a bad run of sleep over the past three or four w- nights warm weather or? warm weather didn't help mm. so last night I was like I'm going to bed early I'm going to bed half ten I'm going to get myself a good seven and a half hour sleep didn't work looked at, my, looked at my phone about half twelve and I'm like oh my God, it was very warm last night, wasn't it? It was very warm. It was it was strange. It was twenty five degrees, and it seemed to come out of nowhere. And it was kind of like a, a warm air when you walked outside. It was really weird weather. And I f- I found that as well. If I'm doing OTB AM, and you're saying I'm going to get up around six, so I'll go to bed at say if you go to bed at nine or ten, to never fall asleep. So it's just the excitement of OTB AM. That's that's insane. it. And also the the window open because of the heat, so you mm. can hear everything outside. Yeah. I keep hearing these cars going at 100 miles an hour. Even in the, the leafy suburbs way. of Rathfarnham. In, in the leafy suburbs. But I'm always wondering, I'm like, are, are, these, guys, like, are these guys joyriding? Like, and you hear all these roaring and shouting. Are like, they going to crash? Like, what's, what's going to happen? Mm. My mind is racing. Is it still racing for this morning's show? I'm hyped. Hashtag LOI in Europe and all that. Absolutely. Where, are you going tomorrow night? Going to Tallaght, yeah. And... Um, it's great that what we're in August, three, three three teams are involved, and very hopeful that I think one team gets into the group stages and gives us a bit of fun. I think more to the point, though, Nathan, watching the uh, FAI Cup draw yesterday, like just kind of get the feeling Go United might get a bit of oh, luck. Here this we year. go. This is why I was pumped for this morning. Like since 1991, I've got Go United have been to maybe one or two FAI Cup semi finals in in 30 odd years you're thinking like statistically you know you've you've often a very good chance getting to the last eight which has been the case which is the case again this year so you need one more game and you're into the last four um, and who knows Derry City have drawn against Cork City there's one other big game in the draw as well Shamrock Rovers draw that so they'll is be it, gone is it not written in the stars when I saw the draw yesterday all I could think is it's written in the stars and it's the, it would be the best thing for the league Duffers Shelburne against Shamrock Rovers in the FAI Cup final well I mean the man is absolute like he he was box office before he said a word uh, about anything in the League of Ireland like he, he's just week after week he's Duffer is just producing these unbelievably good quotes does he mean it? I mean the stuff about shells I mean it's kind of it's kind of it seems he says all the right things but he, he almost says <laughs> they, they may not mean them but uh, they're all the right things uh, whether they're actually genuine or not Um I think there was a manager. I, I feel a lot of it is the message that he's trying to uh, relay, and the Shelburne players buying into it and all this that. This is important. What do you say about Sean Boyd? Like you can tell that he's a great relationship with Sean Boyd. Sean Boyd, if you're not really into, he's getting Ireland. more bookings than, yeah, than, yeah. than goals. 
disdain on his performance is that he gets booked again and he's going to miss two games. At the end of the day, he still has more bookings than goals. I'd say nine, possibly ten of the bookings are absolutely ridiculous. Will he ever change on that? I don't know. But he still loves him, kind of. And uh, you see the shells, lads. Are, they're often not afraid to put up on social media that they, they socialise together. Duffer obviously thinks um, that this is good for team bonding. And uh, they've really grown as the season has gone on. They're actually, you know, quietly, they're on the cusp of... Um, challenging for the top mm. four which has kind of crept up because we'll have John Daly on St. Pat's and, and Sligo Rovers had massive massive uh, monumental screw-ups last weekend in the FEI Cup which was a route to uh, Europe that was logistically possible for them as is the league but it was definitely giving them another chance and you're thinking if John Russell had gone into that job and, you know, they hadn't done what they've done in Europe and they got knocked out of the cup, he'd be immediately under pressure. Tim Clancy would be under pressure because they're doing, they're doing okay in the league and they'll admit themselves that they'd want to do better. Knocked out the cup on the first hurdle at home to Watford. Just so happens that they're doing okay in Europe. But uh, it's been, I don't know, it's been a, a mad, mad few weeks in the League of Ireland. Well, it's a screwed up calendar where really two thirds of the season is almost in the first half of the season and... Like I'm looking at the fixtures last night, even for Rovers, and trying to book in nights for the kids and talent and things, and you don't know when the games are going to be because they're yeah. just consistently been postponed because of the European matches. So are they going to have a big glut of fixtures at the end? Some teams are playing between European games, some aren't. Mm. And as you say, those FAI Cup games last night are thrown in the middle of the European matches. So understandably, Pats and Sligo have a focus elsewhere. But in terms of their longer-term future... <laughs> that game is maybe more important than the game because you need to get back in again for next season. Yeah. Now, okay, let, let's be honest. Like, at the same time, it's not like they were very likely to win the FAI Cup either and whatever. Shamrock Rovers are the favourites and then you've Dundalk and Derry or whatever. So like, they need the look of the draw. Um, but it was still like the FAI Cup, what that meant to Pat. So I was at the game obviously last November and I think there's been um, a follow-on from that with the Pats support this season where a lot of people um, went to games regularly. Even Pats games, like, I, I, I comment on this, Nathan, a few times. I've, I've been at games where they've been well beaten or beaten uh, by, um, you know, local rivals. They lost 4-0 to Derry and the crowd hasn't really been getting at their back at all. They've, they've, there's, a, there's a good feeling around Inchicore this year and obviously Sligo, um, Sligo have had great success in the Cup and would love to be back there. What struck me though was looking at the league table there the other day, Drogheda played 25 games. Drogheda's next game, there are only 10 games and they're done. Like the league isn't, mm. there isn't actually that much left in the league which seems to be mad because it's like, God, we're only we're just coming out of July, and the league almost seems like we're into into the final stretch already. Um, and I, I think I think I mentioned yesterday, the the UCD um, rally has been really really remarkable. Like Andy Myler, um, they've been completely written off. When you think of Euro Whelan and Kerrigan gone or injured, and they've overtaken Finn Harps. I met Ollie Horgan for the um, the All Ireland uh, football final. As a TV show on that. Even by his standards, he was quite downbeat about Harps this season, but. Um, They've had they've had challenges in terms of he's brought in so many players from all over the place. Generally, that doesn't work. And it looked this season. I was at the Shells game when they won three 0 in Talc, and I was like, Ollie's pulled it off again. Hasn't worked out so far for them, um, and that's going to be a an interesting scrap. And let's be honest, first division teams probably probably hope UCD finish second last. So I'm wondering if Galway Knight finish up in the playoffs. I, I I wouldn't really mind necessarily if they played Harps the way Harps have been going this season because they've been poor. They've won two of their 24 games. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now, coming up on this morning's show, 
Johnny mentioned it. John Daly, the St. Patrick's Athletic Assistant Manager, is going to be joining us in about 15 minutes' time ahead of their trip to Bulgaria for the Conference League qualifier tomorrow night. Uh, David Connolly, the former Republic of Ireland international, he's going to be with us just after 8. Uh, we'll be looking ahead to the new Premier League season with David. We'll have a look at the sports pages and we'll get the sports news with John Duggan after that. Then Samuel Luckhurst is going to chat Manchester United. There's been a whole lot going on around the club. Some feel it's been a good pre-season. Maybe it has been on the pitch, but off the pitch, it seems a right mess at Old Trafford and we have just over a month to go in the transfer window the little banner on Sky Sports News told me 30 days I couldn't quite believe it 30 days of the transfer window still to go uh, Phil Egan's going to be with us with Deal or No Deal and then Jonathan Wilson was brilliant on Off the Ball last night with his season preview that's coming away from half past nine you can get your comments in on the YouTube uh, Cullen pointing out that I should get a fan in the bedroom I don't allow listeners in my bedroom Colm Boom. Oh, I like that. I that's it's funny you say that because I was uh, I was in a house yesterday and I I was like Ireland is gonna if you want to invest in anything invest in, in air conditioning or like basically anything to do with cooling uh, houses in Europe and Ireland would you would you buy it one of those fancy Dyson fans I was thinking of buying one are they noisy no Can they say they're not they're noisy. air purifying as well um. Was well, something I was thinking. We're still at a we're still at a what five nights a summer where it's that little bit too hot. Those Dyson things cost a bloody fortune. They are expensive, yeah. Um, they are expensive, but I think they warm the room, cool the room, purify your air, purify your mind, maybe give you more sleep. Dyson. It is. It is. Irish summers are going to be. And the guy was was in the in the gaffer just he was making the point that the houses are so well insulated now that they're actually not really at all they're not at all built for warm weather in mm. summer and um, that's going to be an issue going forward so that's if you want to invest in something um, before we're all destroyed. Uh, so Stephen Kenny was down in Tullamore yesterday. Mm. The summer soccer schools are on at the moment, so he uh, did some media duties for the first time since the Nations League games. Uh, not a huge amount in this in terms of news. Uh, says he's looking to replace John Eustace as first team coach hopes to have him in place before that Armenia game at the end of September the international break this season is about 3-4 weeks later than usual so I think it's going to be about 7 or 8 Premier League matches uh, before those games so we'll wait and see he's you know he's pulled the rabbit from the hat several times uh, this stage when it comes to finding an assistant manager uh, Jurgen Klopp not happy with Stephen Kenny Stephen <laughs> Kenny a bit surprised by this hey, yeah it's Stephen Kenny's job to Worry about what Jurgen Klopp thinks. Stephen Kenny said he wouldn't have played Quiven Keller if they thought he was injured. I thought what was interesting, like the Klopp thing, is a complete sideshow. I thought what was interesting there was he he uh, Kenny's always intriguing in these press conferences because he say, he says things sometimes unprompted, sometimes out of context. But he made a point of how well Mark Travers was doing in training. Mm. Where he said this guy's up to his levels here, and then. We remember Nathan. You and I had the debate about um, who'd be in goal. Where I was like, Bazunas is definitely his number one. Well, yesterday he he was seemed to be quite clear, and we don't have a number one. Um, and obviously, you know, he, he does have three extremely good options in that regard. The t- stuff about Klopp, I don't think, is particularly relevant. Um, it's just it is unfortunate for Kelleher. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure how good Cuevin Keller is a goalie because you just don't see him that much whereas with Bazunu he's gotten a run of games Kelleher I think Kelleher could have done better for the free kick against Ukraine other than that he's been very good for Ireland um, but he does need a run of games Well and Travers had that nightmare mm. in Serbia which he probably hasn't quite recovered the trust of Stephen Kenny as of yet and like, my, my I opinion on, the, on that debate tonight. hasn't changed really in that Let's see where we are in three months' time with Gavin Bazunu. Like if Gavin Bazunu is Southampton's starting goalkeeper, 
Look at that save in the preseason. I don't think the there's any question that Bazuna then will be number one. Mm. Because Quinton Keller is staying at Liverpool. I know when he was leaving Ireland camp, he was talking about having to have a conversation with Jurgen Klopp about his future, but obviously then the injury changed things. And again, you look at Liverpool and you look at Adrian's performance at the weekend. Like, Quinton Keller is now missed. Like, Addison is, for a goalkeeper, it feels a little bit injury prone. Mm. Compare him to Ederson, who, like, we never saw Zach Stefan for Manchester City last mm. season. Ederson always plays. Whereas. You know, Kelleher gets a few opportunities over the course of a year. And maybe it is a case that you're just rotating. Like if Bazunu, if, if Alex McCarthy is Southampton's starting keeper mm. at the end of September and Bazunu hasn't played a game, Kelleher, in all likelihood, unless Allison is injured, won't have played a game. Mm. Are you starting Travers? Yeah, that's a very good point. I, I, I still feel he'd probably go with Pizzuno. I think he has, I think he's the best goalkeeper of the three. Um, and I think. Kenny probably feels that or hopes that he will have forced his way into the first team at that stage as well. It's an amazingly good problem to have. That the bounty in that area is genuinely astounding and not only that, but just the age profile of these lads were absolutely sorted going forward. They can't all be injured together, surely not. And um it's interesting to see. I, I dunno, I mean the thing about Klopp was uh I think it was much to do about nothing really, but um it's interesting as well. He's his son own. I think that that was brought up. Um, he seems to be developing into in quite a decent little mm. footballer, and uh, it'll be. <laughs> he's in the Northern Ireland underage squad. Yeah, I think he's he's mates that are involved with the Northern Ireland setup. Um, but I feel uh, I feel we've moved on a bit now that this isn't necessarily an issue anymore, have we? Where you know, I don't, I don't think, I think there will be respect if Owen were to become a very good footballer. I think there'll be total respect as to which country he, he, he chooses, um, albeit that's probably a long way down the line. Um, he obviously touched on the various players and their moves and how positive it all is for Irish football. Uh, Aaron Connolly's name came up. So, you know, Aaron Connolly, at the start of Stephen Kenny's reign, uh, featured all of the time, and we thought he was going to be one of those players who'd be a mainstay over the next decade. Uh, he's gone on loan to Venezia, who were relegated, finished bottom of Serie A last season in Italy. Uh, so after a really disappointing loan spell at Middlesbrough and never quite kicking on at Brighton, he's 22 now, Aaron Connolly. Like, it's do or die, to put it mildly. And like, the conversation around Aaron Connolly is always an awkward one, because it's not really his footballing ability that seems to be the problem. It's an attitude thing, and it's very difficult to talk about because you know we're not on the training ground. We're not seeing. There's always a lot of rumors, and people hear things. Like, mm. But there's clearly something, something a little bit off when his career has gone the way it has, and he just seems to need a gigantic kick up the ass. Yeah, I was, I was just looking back to see when the uh, Spurs game was. Aaron Connolly scored twice in his first Premier League start for Brighton. The 19-year-old finding the back of the net either side of the first half in a three-nil win, October fifth, twenty nineteen. Mm. So it's nearly three years ago, and the trajectory since then has just been so um, I don't know, so disappointing for him. And um, you mentioned you mentioned it's not his ability, Nathan, but like he hasn't been performing on the pitch either. So it's not as if well you can park whatever the stuff is off the pitch. Um, we spoke about one gifted, if somewhat free spirited and mercurial Galwegian yesterday. Um, obviously not me, but uh, Shane Walsh and uh, Aaron Connolly is another guy that. Always, people say he's a bit. Yarn's a bit different. We've seen on social media. He went off social media. What was it? Two thousand and I think he went off. Shut down his social media accounts uh, last year um, after a torrent of abuse. And then he spoke about getting getting out of the circle um, of the English 
I don't know what it is, the English circle, whatever whatever he, he wants to escape from to go to Italy. Italy's a completely different culture, obviously. Um but to go to Serie B, I mean this is this is do or die for him. This has to work out and I don't know what Darren. I hope he's been well advised in his life because I, I remember Shane Keegan speaking about when he was I think he was manager of Galway United and Shane used to go to one of the hotels in Galway to do little bits of work um and there was a gym there and Aaron Connolly would be flat out in the gym in the off season working on his fitness and putting in the hours and that's um really came to fruition three years ago when he was bursting onto the scene and those two those two goals against Spurs that I I think one of the things with that was I think Spurs were a bit of a mess at the time and maybe that sort of inflated the the impression. Still it's, but it were too good. You don't see Irish players doing no. things like that. And the confidence of them. And you got to remember that, like Kenny referenced the Toulon tournament yesterday. I remember watching that and it was, Kenny was obviously early in the job and Ireland had a very young team taking on some really good opposition. But Connolly was so dynamic um, at that time of his career and he was he was really quick like really really like would just have this ability to beat a man cross the ball do the right things do the unpredictable I think Kenny's early reign was tested by his loyalty to Connolly and his ability or perceived ability to use man management on Connolly and get him to become the player that he thought he was and he didn't become that player he was shipped at half time in the Azari game in some respects I think that was it wasn't the low point of the low point was obviously going one nil down in Andorra, but for the Kenny regime, I think that's where he he gambled on the three young lads up mm. front that day um, against the Azeris, and it didn't work out at all. And it was kind of like I remember going into that game thinking, I think I was here, and I was like, Ireland will win this, and I, this is a brave you know attacking formation, three dynamic kids of the future. It didn't work out, and part of the reason it didn't work out was because of the place that Aaron Connolly was in, and I'm not sure he's ever come out of that place really since. No. Well, you think of the trust that Stephen Kenny placed in him, like started him in Serbia, started him in Portugal, and maybe there's a bit of luck involved in these things. If both of those games, he's denied a stonewall penalty. Mm. And it seems his reputation doesn't help him there because does he go down a little bit easily at times? But in both games, should have had a penalty. You, you thought the one things. after he was kind of pushed after he connected with the ball. I think so. Yeah. Like, you're, you're all right. Home is probably a penalty kick, but you're right then. Like, it did sum up the problem for Ireland is that after both those matches there was a real buzz and a sense of actually Ireland going somewhere and the match straight afterwards there's a real coming crashing back mm. down to earth and like, he yeah like been taken off at half time he's like, never recovered from that and certainly not in Irish perspective you are right like that Portugal game kind of I mean Aaron Connie got into such dangerous positions and like Pepe was all over the place and you could tell they were afraid of Connolly but you had no faith in him actually scoring when he was through and it was kind of like it almost summed up where he was at like the ability was there but the mentally there was something not right about him I thought that night where you just had no faith that he was going to score and then as you say he was a little bit unlucky with with um, kind of the, 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 the decisions that were made as well but he needs somebody to guide him in his life because it'd be a bit tragic if, if his career were just to, to peter out now and you'd worry for a guy like that we we might speak about like the vilification of people on social media and I think Man United have eight of the top ten players in the Premier League um, it, but it, it's not funny and like if Aaron Connolly's career derails he's the guy who will go into the restaurant or the pub and there will always be someone saying that's Aaron Connolly do you remember do you remember the player that he was or could have been and he's just basically an Egypt look at him now like and I don't want that to happen to Aaron because there's still time for him to turn it around I think uh, we've got seven weeks for this conversation but a message in asking everybody fit Johnny what's your front three for Ireland 
Jesus, yeah. It's sort of nailed on now. I, as nailed on as it can be, because we thought More it was nailed on when tree, Ida like. and uh, Ida and Godley were part of it. It's Parrot, Obafemi, and Jason Knight playing just in behind. Yeah, that would be that would be mine. Yeah, I just I'd like to see what happens with that Amida as well. But I, I I feel there's a dynamic, there's a dynamism there with Parrot and um, Obafemi. I, I'm not sure Parrot I don't think he's the most inspiring debut for Preston at the weekend I think this move again kind of does have to move out for him and move for him in terms of where he's going in his career or what level he's going to find I think he should definitely be good enough for the championship but could you, you couldn't but be excited about the they seem to have an innate understanding the mm. pair of them that wasn't coached you know and uh, I'm a massive fan of Jason Knight I think he's going to be a terrific footballer so intelligent and he needs to get a move though like, mm, play right back in League One <laughs> no no. Like, what the hell is going on no um, yeah I, it's it's funny though like we, we've spoken about the uh, the lack of Irish players in the in the Premier League the Championship and League One are going to be so fun like if we're we're talking every Saturday about like these players well, the great thing about the Championship it's it so never ends fun. it's not just never every ends. Saturday every, yeah. every time yeah. you turn on your TV there's an Irish player playing in the Championship yeah and the spate of players gone to League One as well so uh, yeah they would be the front three what would be your back three Nathan? my back three oh youth that <sighs> well Nathan Collins is the number one guaranteed starter like, am I, am I, am I, again, a lot depends on what happens with Shane Duffy over the next few weeks. It's not enormous speculation, but it's hard to see him being a starter for Brighton. And does he sit around there or does he try for a better loan move than Celtic where maybe there's less emotion involved and he's fit and he can go and, again, go down to the championship and play every week where he'd probably be one of the best centre-halves in the championship. I don't know if we're quite at the Omobamadele, Collins, O'Shea stage oh, we are. just we are. yet of the three that's starting. <laughs> Omobamadele is fit, like... I'd still be reluctant to dump Duffy too quickly. Mm. Like O'Shea feels certainly what we saw at the back end of last season, still just coming back fully from his injury. But I wouldn't be surprised by the end of this season if we're looking at a O'Shea Collins Omabamadele back three. Could do with the left footed player, but it doesn't look an, there doesn't look an obvious solution there because I think the I think you do you do play your best three and they will be the best three. I think Omabamadele is going to be a savage footballer. Like, I feel is as well. your back three? Is it Omabamadele on the left? Collins in the middle and Coleman on the right with Doherty at right wing back. Possibly, yeah. I I think James is I think James is probably going to struggle a bit going forward. Um, but if he is playing, that's the position he'd be playing in. Um, left wing back is another position that is a little bit unclear. I think. Well, Ender Stevens went off injured the last night, but Ender Stevens when he's been fit generally seems to mm. be the main man. But McLean. Has, has been the best player in the position for Ireland over I, the last I year. I think he's been terrific. Um, Joel Bagan as well. It'll be interesting mm. to see what progress he makes because he he has goals in him and he does look an out and out left wing back. Um, but I, I feel um, I feel it's the it's the it's the, the formation that seems to probably suit us best at this stage. If if we have a an aggressive sort of mm. three five two ish and with those two up front, we're going to be good to watch. Yeah, uh, the midfield is like Cullen is probably number one name on the team sheet right now because there's is. nobody who can really replace mm. him in that position and then it's who goes alongside him if Hendrick is back playing maybe it's Hendrick maybe Malumby has a good season like the left wing back position is huge because mm. when Ireland play well it's down to the wing back so if Doherty is fit like having Doherty on the right hand side but you need somebody of somewhat similar stature on the left Ryan Manning has got to be hasn't it you're not a massive Manning fan I just don't think he's done it yet. Nah, he, he inserted something about Galwegians. You can't be trusting. You can't, can't be trusting. Trust you put your faith in him. <laughs> I think, uh, Johnny, I think some good news. Just before we get into, before we get into that, when we come back to it, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the reports in the paper today. 
Uh, Cullum Key says the story in the independent Shane Walsh Shane Walsh doubts yeah I saw that doubts uh, I, I couldn't believe that to be honest I didn't think got that to was, prove uh, that yeah. he must satisfy the permanent residence criteria as set out in the official guide and that clearly doesn't allow for higher education accommodation you need a reference from his landlord we've all had them um, well, that, that, that's, that's when I went to Galway to college I didn't yeah. mean I was from Galway I was yeah. still, for, still for Mayo yeah what do you make of it actually uh, I I think if it wasn't Kilmacud Croaks, I don't think it would be an issue. Yeah. I, I have no problem at all with Shane Walsh deciding I can't make the commute. I'm shocked that more players haven't done this. Mm-hmm. When you look at the peak Mayo team, seven, eight, nine of them were living in Dublin and travelling down consistently. And eventually, you know, we saw Chris Barrett move right at the end of his career and not be travelling to Belmullet. I'm shocked more players don't do this. I think any backlash against Walsh is completely misplaced. I understand the frustrations in Kilclair and Clumber, and I still think it was outrageous the things that were said about him and the sort of we're going to try and hold him hostage here I, I and we're feel, not going to let him go. I feel the same on that. I agree with but, you. Yeah, but I, I think it's Kilmacud and the fact that they are the superstars mm-hmm. of Dublin and then they're adding they're adding the second best player in the country right now and you look at the other clubs in Dublin who have been training all winter building up towards a county championship mm. and next thing this guy is just parachuted in like I saw Cahar O'K make a point that like maybe if you're playing intermediate in your home county that that's the level you should have to go to I don't think that works but I, for, for me it's the it's the Kilmacud angle that has put yeah. people out but like if, if Shane Walsh doesn't want to travel home it's not like he's, he's going to play for Dublin is he going to play for Dublin? yeah exactly he's going to play for exactly, Dublin yeah I, I think Shane um, I think Shane is is a free spirit he's his own thinker on things as well and uh, I think he's the, maybe if you were to say who's the one guy the one player in the Galway panel who might do this I think you'd say oh this could this was probably Shane Walsh but I think I, I'd agree with you I don't think the current Clumberland cover themselves in glory I think it wasn't fair in the player that statement at all I think I mean Shane has I mean, I haven't been following his club career intimately at, at intermediate level. I presume he's given Kilcarn Clumburn plenty of service and been an incredible asset to them. And I don't think it's really fair in a player who's also 29. It's not like he's, you know, he's he's given them a lot. Uh, you know, that statement just didn't sit easy with me. And now if, what happens if, like, what happens if uh, they turn it down, the GA, and say, no, you can't do this? So what, like, does he go back to Kilcarn Clumburn happy as Larry? I don't think he does now. No. No, uh, we'll we'll bring you more on that on the news headlines a little bit later on. Now we're joined on the line by the St. Patrick's Athletic Assistant Manager John Daly, ahead of Pat's Europa Conference League third qualifying round, first leg away to CSK Sofia tomorrow evening. This is a man who knows all about controversial transfers. Of course, I mean we're not going to. Sure, are we going to bring it up? Well, he's he's on the line now. <laughs> I, I interviewed him last week and I never brought it up. You, you too, never brought it up. He's right there, John. Uh, good morning. Morning, how are you? He's, you're making that beautiful. He's making the beautiful trip west. They're going to <laughs> Knock Airport right now. He was thinking this is going to be a nice, relaxing interview, and now you want to get his thoughts on Rangers' shocking defeat last night. Uh, well, not quite. How are you getting on, John? Not too bad. That's the across now. Just, uh, nice early start for us. What happened at the weekend? Ah, uh, just look at you. Just have to look at Sligo as well. You know, it's just the difficulty of playing in Europe and then having to play on a Sunday. It's, uh, Obviously disappointing. Um, we knew we knew water for all the problems, and um, if we didn't defend right and we gave away three goals, we knew we'd be punished. So, um, obviously extremely disappointed. But we just need to try and put that to the back of our minds now and focus on tomorrow. 
It it is um, it is true though as well because like, I, I I kind of I think some people did fancy Wexford at least to give uh, Sligo a good game because of the makeup of the fixtures and all that. What what's it like as a coach, John, or to 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 come from the high and the travel and all that that you that 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 last week in Slovenia entailed to taking on a team that are in the first division, but you know yourself like this is a potential banana skin. I would have hung up as well. It was an outrageous question to ask Johnny. Sounds like he's in Tirana more than Knock, really. Didn't well, he? listen, mm. you know, someone grew up by what five miles from uh, Knock. Never Airport. been to Knock Airport. Ne- actually. What? No. no. Oh my God! Uh, this is a disgrace for your one of Charlie's finest moments. Of course, bring airports to well, the I think west. You'll find it was uh, Monsignor Horn. Monsignor Charlie's involved as well. Second wasn't he? greatest Horn to come out of Mayo. Bus. Who was the first? <laughs> James Horn. James Horn. <laughs> Who's going to get the job? Well, this is we should uh, we should yeah. we should spend a good ten minutes on this. Mm. The runners and riders because uh, the backroom teams are starting to come together. Mm. So obviously Kevin McStay comes in last week uh, and has this sensational backroom team. Donny Buckley, Lee McHale. If Lee McHale is involved, I'm on board. You like Lee McHale? Absolutely. Lee McHale is my hero. hero oh God, I still remember. I, I put him on the Mayo Mount Rushmore. I still remember He's got 19, the best legs in showbiz. 1996 where. Jim Carney wrote in the Tomb Herald, this game will be dictated by how Liam McHale plays. And of course, the Mayo players changed their football boots at half-time. It was a particularly uh, charismatically wet day uh, in Castlebar. Galway had won the Connacht Championship in a canter the year before. 1996, we're probably expecting to win. Um, I seem to recall my father going to the bookmakers in Glenamaddy, back in Galway at odds-on to beat Mayo, and you had to pay tax on your bets in those days. And of course, Mayo, uh, Mayo did the job and was devastated after the game, thinking this is going to be a great year for Galway. Lee McHale was a hero that day. That's God, how many years ago is that now, Nathan? 36, 26 years ago. That's depressing. That mm, depressing. 26 years ago. Okay, John Daly is back, I think. Um, the coverage on the way to knock, it turns out, uh, isn't great. Uh, I guess what, what Johnny's talking about there as well, like, was there a sense maybe in the dressing room before the game or like that the high of, of Thursday was just going to be so hard to replicate that you, you can almost tell in the dressing room that, that this isn't going to be your day? Well, not at all. I think on the day, I think anyone that was at the game would have seen the chances that we created. And, um, we obviously were, weren't clinical in front of goal and we gave up poor opportunities for the goals we conceded. So um, that's football. If you don't take your chances and you give up poor chances, you're, you're going to get punished. And we knew their front three were, were very good players and, and are very good players and, and can punish you should you give them opportunities. And I don't think we put it down to... Um, any feeling in the dressing room we knew obviously the feeling of Thursday was fantastic but straight after that game after the celebrations our focus is obviously on the game Sunday and to try and get prepared as well as well as we can for that and um, as I said unfortunately we, we didn't defend in the manner that we have done for most of the season the, the, the performance itself last week you know um, I don't know if you saw it Nathan but like because it was obviously clashing the Sligo game what was the heat like John because Pats had 60% of the possession the first half so I thought it was a phenomenal achievement going away from home against a team that you were expected to lose to yeah well we we, we emphasised the point of having to look after the ball out there with, with the heat and the way it was and obviously trying to control the, the possession of the court obviously that's that's difficult going to a place like Mura who've Obviously, I've been in the group stages last year. Beat Spores in the in the group last year, and um, you know, so they've had that experience of playing in Europe before. We had a lot of players that still quite, um, you know, in their infancy in their European careers, and um, 
you know, it was very, very important that we got that across and that we needed to look after the ball. And I thought we'd done it really well. Um, you know, we had to run around to press the ball and, and our possession that could be really difficult. So we tried to we tried to look after the ball and, and keep it as much as we could and, and still try and create chances. And um, obviously on the night, we had Big Joe was fantastic. He made some, made some brilliant saves. Um, but, you know, we did have our own opportunities within the game and, you know, again, we need to get better at, at taking these opportunities when they present themselves. Can, can you actually talk about that? Because Pats have gone from Vidyaros, right, who obviously was sensational, to Joey and Ang, who could possibly even be better than him. Like, could you just sum up his performance, John, for people who didn't watch it? Yeah, look, look he's outstanding. Like, yeah. He's been like that for most of the season for us. He's, you know, I think not only his, his shot stopping and his saves and, you know, coming across his command in his box, it's with the ball at his feet as well. You know, I think he's, he's been outstanding with the ball at his feet and his, his range of passing. Um, he has, when he catches the ball, he has the one, you know, the sidewinder volley that he does um, mm. to pick out players that are, are breaking away. And he, he obviously, I've heard a lot about about beat from last year. I haven't uh, seen much of him. Um, I heard he was excellent last year, but, but Joe, for me, has, has been fantastic. Looking ahead to tomorrow night then, that, that template for Mora, I'm sure, is one you want to replicate away against CSK Sofia, who, you know, they're at the start of the season, they're level at the top of the league with Ludogorets, and you think back to Rovers at Ludogorets, it almost felt like they paid them too much respect that Ludogorets were able to dominate possession. It looked like there was a big gulf in class in that first leg, and then actually they come to Tala and Rovers ripped them to pieces. They're really unlucky not to pull off the comeback. It is away from home been able to instill that confidence in the players to play your own game to, to control it and I presume the confidence you can take from last week is huge yeah of course you have to you have to look at this game and try and look after the ball as I said earlier on it's, it's going to be it's going to be warm it's going to be um, difficult conditions there's going to be a decent crowd there they've got a very good team I think they've got seven or eight internationals in the squad so you know it's going to be a, a tough ask um, but we will go into the game the conference and, and try and try and get a result and I think the most important part is that we, we take it back next week that we're, we're still in the toy that we give ourselves a chance to, to try and get through the round and um, you know we've obviously looked at them as much as we can with the last round they, they won 4-0 in their, their home game three goals coming from set players and um, so we're going to have to defend our box well and, and make sure we don't give up any cheap goals and and then, as I said earlier, when we, when we get chances, which we know we will, because they've given up chances in the games we've played all season, so we will get some chances in the game that, that we're going to have to be clinical with and we're going to have to try and take and um, to give ourselves a fighting chance. It's interesting you say that. So you feel that they, their defensively, there's a little bit there that for you to be hopeful about get at least creating chances. I think on the turnover, yeah, I think. Um, you know, in the transition moments of the game, I think they are quite expansive in how they play with the full match pushing on. And um, so they, they do leave themselves uh, vulnerable to counter attacks. And, and we have got good players in the team that can break the pace and, and can work them on that, that side of the game. So again, it's it's about, you know, our decision making and our execution. And um, we say it to the players all the time about, you know, that decision that you make and, and then trying to execute it in, in the way. The right manner to give yourself the best opportunity to try and get an opportunity to score. So um, we do feel that, that we will get chances in the game. And as I said, we, we know we're going to have to defend well, uh, especially away from home, first leg, to to try and keep ourselves in the fighting chance. And it just really comes down to 
their moments that when we get them, can we can we punish them? And um, like we've been punished in games when we've, we've given them opportunities. Uh, we're spoken, John. We're speaking there, John, about the plethora of Irish. Uh, what would be your back three actually if you were to pick the Irish back three going forward because we were, we're I think we're I'm, I'm going with Omar Bamadeli O'Shea and Collins what would your three be if you were to pick a three probably wouldn't be far away from that to be honest I think uh, there's, there's a good there's a good uh, selection there but I think I wouldn't be too far off that one to be honest well the Pats the Pats in their backs I thought Joe Redmond you've made him captain um, he's a young captain I thought he was absolutely outstanding again um, last week and Gravosti as well had some great moments so you look like you're building something there yeah, they're a good, they're a good, uh, good age, and um, with the profile of the players that work with the club, our, our goal is just trying to keep them as long as we can. And I know Joe has just signed a, a new long-term deal as well, which is great for for himself and great for the club to have someone of his caliber um, at the club for the next couple of seasons, and kind of gives you a platform to build on. We obviously started this season, we have to try and. Uh, scour through all the players that were available with the with the turnover that they had so it was difficult at the start but we, we kind of feel like we're getting a, a squad together that, that is starting to you know we can shape into and mould into what the manager's looking for and, and how he sees the team playing so um, so yeah it's, it's for me it's just about trying to get continuity with them I think all the good teams that actually want to do stuff and, and in trophies and, and have that continuity and, and have that and togetherness for a couple of seasons anyway so if we can keep the, the, the core of the group together now going forward and hopefully we can we can build on it and, and try and get more experiences like we had last Thursday and, and hopefully going forward uh, John the line isn't great uh, so we'll let you go but just before you do go I guess uh, number one aim is make sure the tie is still there for you heading back to Tallinn next week yeah I think so that has to be the, the number one priority obviously we can if we can take a chance or two on the night, then, then fantastic. But I think it's just about keeping ourselves um, defensively solid and, and making sure that we don't give away uh, too much and don't give ourselves too much to do next week. All right, John. Uh, well, safe trip and uh, very best of luck tomorrow night and uh, hopefully we get to check in next week. Cheers, lads. Thank you. All right, John Daly there is on his way to Knock Airport. Uh, they're like, Dublin Airport's screwed, isn't it? Yeah. I'm going to knock. Rovers had to go down to, to Shannon. Mm, had a great time Shannon by all accounts treated uh, very well yeah um, it's very weird when you're like a League of Ireland manager coming out with like what sounded like uh, kind of vague propaganda for an airport but uh, um, the experiences of these regional airports uh, knock knock you're an f- advocate of knock it's an airport never been I, I, I've only been there a few times mm. um, but absolutely like the joy when you get off the plane and being straight through and having your bag and been in your car within I'd say 10 minutes mm can't underestimate that and of course it was near the side of the apparition as well which you know gives you a kind of a feeling of holiness and as you're as you're landing yeah that's exactly two exactly. inches of sticky tape and all that exactly uh, in terms of chances then and the draws have been made for the next round as well because you basically roll on week after week after week as I say CSK Sofia are in the same league as Ludogorets they're joint top of the league it's still hard to judge Ludogorets and what the gap was because I think they were very good I honestly they think were, they, they were, were brilliant that first leg but yeah I thought they were taking the pace a bit in talent well I think that there was definitely a part of that and I'd be interested to see Rovers tomorrow night whether they have a slight change in style from what they learned from that second leg against Ludogorets because they were so much more direct than they've been at times this season in the League of Ireland where they can just 
control games and they yeah, can play it at yeah. their own pace and uh, you know we've touched on it a lot that it hasn't come alive too often but they've just so much quality they'll always win a game whereas actually mm. putting a bit of pace in behind getting Aaron Green running at them knowing you've got Gaffney to come off the bench and the Macu to come off the bench that actually not holding on to it as much in Europe at home seems to be the way to go Yeah, I, I, I just like I spoke to Stephen Bradley after the I don't know after the, the, the I, both games I think he was given out about the, the he just think the travel really screwed them over in terms of um, Bulgaria and that they weren't able to perform over there I think the, I think both of these ties were misleading I think Rovers were better than they showed in Bulgaria where Ludogrets are, Ludogrets are a good side you can clearly tell and I think Ludogrets it looked like they were on the night it looked like they'd been on the night out the night before in Tala they were disgraced in the first half their discipline was terrible they got a player sent off but the key moments in the game for me was when Ludogrets had 10 men they were actually they started to play and they were the better side so I think Rovers were a bit flattered by that but at the same time I think it gave them great confidence um, one of the keys for me is Amaku scoring again like he scored a crucial goal in Europe last year it was a brilliant goal he got like, but it was the quality of the goal oh, was I, such uh, a lovely goal you know, like. you, you, we sit here and we make pronouncements about what Irish football should be and uh, mm. John Giles always says you know if it's the right thing to do in the uh, first minute it's the right thing to do in the last minute you know you don't mm. put the big lad up front you keep mm. going and I was in Tallaght just going get it into the box get it yeah. into the box and the quality of the football beautiful build up when, when times were desperate like mm. time, they needed a goal quickly it's the la- last minute of normal time and to string together 10-15 passes the little step over for the fi- and then the quality of the finish as well it was as good a goal as I've seen from an Irish side in Europe in a long, it was, long it time it was a class goal and I think Amaku I, I think Bradley spoke about afterwards that he's had some sort of a some sort of an issue this season where he's only sort of coming right now um, I think maybe an injury or whatever it was anyway but Amaku is a player I think we haven't seen the best of and he gives them Rovers have had this problem of a lack of pace and I've I've, 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 I've definitely called it wrong on Alan Manis where I felt Manis was, was going to be um, an issue for for them this season because I thought he looked like he was on the way out last season I think he may have had an injury he's been outstanding this season at his age he's been such a leader and he's been so good in, in games made great saves Ronan Finn has been outstanding for a lad who's hitting 35 um, you know Chris McCann I, I feel has been excellent in Europe but they need more than that they need pace they need something to to um, you know create problems for teams that you could see it actually Pats in, in Mora like the players that, that have serious pace that could cause problems for teams and Rovers don't have enough of that Farouja's kind of coming back in now he may have a role to play but I definitely think Amaku will have a role to play in this tie and let's and be he's honest still very, he's still very young he's he was still told very young. like he's he was doing his, still in school. He was doing yeah. his exams and he's trying to train. So he's got a clear focus now. Actually, just on his football. I think for that's the summer. sorry. That's what it was. Like he was he he did other things in his mind, or whatever. But Rovers now. I mean, whatever whatever Bradzer will say about the the European campaigns that they've had, where you know they've they've played well but not made the group stages. This is this is their chance. I mean, because they've two shots at it. They're they should they probably should be good enough to to do to do it this time. But even if they don't, they've a very very good chance against the Kosovan or Faroe champions if they don't. All right, lots more to come on that uh, over the next couple of days. Now, off the ball is heading back to Vicker Street. It's going to be our biggest roadshow of the year. It's in association with Cabri FC, and it's coming away on August seventeenth. Michael Owen. Ian Wright, 
Emma Byrne and Karen Carney are going to be the guests on a star-studded night there'll be some brilliant stories and lots of reminiscing about their great careers and looking ahead to the new season as well it's an exclusive off-air event tickets go on sale this week I think they're going on sale tomorrow morning at 9am but we'll uh, confirm that a little bit later uh, but you can keep an eye on our social channels we'll let you know all about that you will not miss this and a reminder that all the ticket proceeds as well are going to go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football uh, terms and conditions apply so we hope to see you there on the night now during the ad break you're going to hear a clip from the latest episode of the football pod where Tommy, Paddy and James talk about Paddy Clifford's dedication to the Kerry calls you can catch the full latest episode of this uh, award nominated podcast as I'm legally obliged to say now didn't get nominated for the old podcast award nominated yeah you didn't get nominated the podcast didn't get nominated no. uh, I don't think we actually entered oh yeah that old that old yeah we're, a bit, we're too big yeah. for that stuff yeah, yeah. Uh, you can get the full football pod uh, where they're giving out their awards as well it's on the OTB podcast network and all our social channels after the break we're going to be previewing the new season with David Connolly OTB AM Alright, you're welcome back. The Premier League is back this weekend and we're delighted to announce that Off The Ball has agreed a new three-year deal for live and exclusive Premier League commentaries every Sunday uh, of the Premier League. Uh, starting this Sunday, we will have a double header. At uh, 2 o'clock, we're going to bring you Manchester United against Brighton. Myself and Brian Kerr will be covering that one. And then it's West Ham against the champions Manchester City. Kenny Cunningham alongside Stephen Doyle to look ahead to the new season. We're joined by the former Republic of Ireland striker David Conley. Good morning, David. Good morning, lads. How are you? Uh, very well. We're going to talk about our title winner, top four, bottom three, players to watch, all that usual sort of stuff. How much of all your predictions hang on Erling Haaland? <laughs> um, I'm dreadful at prediction, predictions, but um, look, I, I, you'd imagine he's going to score an absolute bundle full of goals. Um, and if you, if you say anything different, you'd be crazy. However, um, you know, there was a couple of signs, I guess, in the Community Shield where... Maybe, you know, you, you've got to remember you're playing with the, the, the player with the best brain, arguably, in the Premier League in Kevin De Bruyne. And um, maybe a couple of times he didn't quite make the run that, that De Bruyne was looking for. So it will take time, I think, for them to gel. But, but nonetheless, um, you'd imagine he's going to be, you know, the runaway leader in it because they create so many chances. He'll, he'll be the top scorer. I, I'll be amazed if he isn't. Wow. I'm not sure about that. Wow. Really? I, th- I mean... I, th- I think City just creates so much. I think I think uh, I think he'll be the top scorer. The, yeah. the, the, the strange <laughs> dynamic with City is like, how many goals can you score, and how many more important goals can you score? So last season they scored ninety nine. The year before eighty three. The year before one hundred and two. Like they've always scored an well, enormous amount yeah, of it, goals. Yeah. So. I, I, I guess it's in terms of the difference his goals will make and will they take away from goals elsewhere well, around the pitch? I look at, put, put it like this, lads, right? The amount of times I would work on games with Man City and he'd have... Uh, he played Phil Foden as a nine v Brighton. He played uh, Jack Grealish as a nine against Watford, mm. right? Uh, none of them worked. He played Jesus as, an, as, a, as, a, as a winger. Never played him down through the middle. I mean, he's an out-and-out goal scorer. I know it's only pre-season, but obviously he's banging the goals in for Arsenal. My point being, you put a centre-forward in that team, and last season, I think it was the first time someone got into 20 for them. You go to season before, I think it was only Gundogan who got in the double figures. You know, the goals are spread around the pitch. 
you, you, you know, that's only because they had to be spread around the pitch. I mean, is it, or is, is, is that not is that not the Guardiola way that actually no. he wants that patient style of football that that may frustrate? Because it, listen, I'm, the, the problem with the Community Shield is everyone's reading so much into one game, and like there was the De Bruyne getting frustrated with Haaland not making the run. There was Haaland getting frustrated with De Bruyne and not picking out when he did make the run. That City are so used to being patient, to holding on to it, whereas Haaland it may actually suit him to be the centre of everything and to go through him quickly. And like that's a, is that not a big change in style for City? No, because I think they'll play. They can play a couple of different ways. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, teams are traditionally will sit in against them, and then you got to break them down. But I mean, the delivery they get from wide, the quality through the middle of the pitch, able to hit balls long. And I, I'll be amazed if he's not top scorer. He's eleven to four actually. Um, he's. I was just looking at him. Salah has been usurped as favourite for the first time in a few years. I, is would you have any concerns about Salah this season in terms of him being the player that's no, I think Salah, there seems to be concerns about him ahead of every season. Mm. And I think he is still one of the most underestimated players there's been in the Premier League. Which is mad, yeah. He was by far and away the best player on the pitch in the Community well, Shield. Yeah, the weekend. It, like his touch, his touch was consistently uh, uh, unbelievable. I think he just, I think he tailed off a bit last season, Dave. But my problem with Salah is that he plays so much that he does need a break. And fairness, he has had yeah. that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, look, they don't have the African Cup of Nations this, this year. So that, that that's... That's one thing. Um, and he's I not think going to the World Cup. Yeah, He's not going to the World Cup, exactly. Now, if you go back to his form after the Africa Cup of Nations, you know, he played four games, all went to extra time. He looked absolutely dead on his feet. Um, Mr. Penn, a contrast with Sadio Mane, who obviously came out of the African Cup of Nations on a high, and, and he just flew after Christmas. And ironically, I think it's Jurgen Klopp's loyalty. I looked at this, why did Mane leave? You know, and the amount of times that Klopp had to make a change or wanted to make a change in in the striking department and it would be Mane the one to come off. I think in the end, Mane just got fed up with that because of Klopp's loyalty to, to mm. Salah. So I think he wanted to go and be the main man. Like, I'm the one that always stays on, which you'll get at Bayern Munich, which he, you know, Jürgen just, just had, had Salah... So, but he very, very rarely came off. And the amount of times they would score late goals, Liverpool, and, and, and Mane wouldn't be there, certainly in the first little part of the season. So, um, look, I think Mo will still score goals. I think he's an ultimate pro. I mean, he's, he's built for football, very durable. He'll always be fit. He's never injured. He'll be up there challenging, of course. Can we have a seasonal match bet of a steak meal that Salah gets more goals than Haaland? <laughs> we, yeah, uh, well, do uh, you know what? I'd love him to. But I have a feeling I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, but, well, you know, you might be right. I mean, because Salah Hedging his steak meal here. Well, he's I think proven. if he, David, understands yeah. well, that he eats his steak in a better well, restaurant than you yeah, do. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Quite a lot. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a happy meal somewhere, <laughs> just in case. I'm not that confident. It'll always be a happy meal. Uh, yeah, yeah. City have, like, they've made, in a way, quite radical changes with Haaland coming in letting like Raheem Sterling go to one of their rivals, uh, Gabriel Jesus going to another strong Premier League side. They've also brought in Calvin Phillips. It'll be interesting to see how that works. Is it a, you know, one in, one out with himself and Rodri every second week or can they play together? It doesn't look as though they're going to sign Kukurea at this stage that he's going to go to Chelsea. Are City stronger heading into this season than they were at the end of last season? I, I think it's a good question. I mean, what I would say is, you know, um, I wonder how happy the players are there. Mm. You know, because I said this last season, but, you know, he didn't even know the manager that Fernandinho was going. 
Fernandinho didn't even tell him until he, he said it in a press conference, which, imagine that, you know, you're, 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 I think he was club captain, mm, right? Yeah, he was, yeah. Yeah, imagine that, you're club captain, not telling your manager, which to me spoke volumes. Jesus couldn't wait to leave and go and play. Um, uh, uh, Jack Grealish looks, you know, half the player that he was because he's never played wide. I mean, and when he has, he lasts 60 minutes. So, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they are stronger. I think the addition of Calvin Phillips is, is, is a superb one, especially for the money. Um, but I, I think they are stronger, in, in essence. Harlan coming in, Calvin Phillips coming in. Um, I, I think they are stronger. But it just shows you, I guess, maybe some clubs might have kept hold of, of Raheem mm. and, and been even stronger. But it just seemed like Pep, I don't know. He has that way. I think he can lose players by the looks of it, and and they can they can kind of that's true as well, to move it? on a little. But well, there's the intensity. Listen, yeah. both these managers, the intensity and, and the pressure they put on you every single week. That, that the success they've had, maybe some players. I think Liverpool, Liverpool seems more enjoyable though. Like oh, absolutely, um, you know. I think I I definitely got the feeling, David, that Sterling. Like I'm not sure he was overly happy there for some time. I no, think he, no, yeah. Um, the Guerrero comments are interesting in the back of well, the Well, Aguero, Aguero's been talking, talking about Erling Haaland, saying he had a bit of a rude awakening. He was too used to Germany. Haaland thought he was alone. Then Van Dijk arrived and said, welcome to the Premier League. <laughs> uh, which is interesting coming from Sergio Aguero. And again, like, it's not a done deal with Erling Haaland. And we don't want to get into, well, the quality of the Bundesliga. Mm. But he was the big dog there. And he's also not going to go up against defenders of the quality of Virgil Van Dijk every week. But it's in the games against defenders of the quality of Van Dijk, they're going to need him because, like City, we know, batter most teams. They'll score goals against most teams. So is he going to be, is he going to be clinical in those matches? You have to assume he is. Like, I'm, with, I'm with you, David. Like, if he stays fit, he scores 25 goals this season. Well, look, put it like this. I mean, he, it's not as if he, um, he, he's only just wanted a central striker. Last season, he tried to get Harry Kane mm. and he didn't. So, you know, for him, they, they've been made, amazing. They've made do without a central striker, you know, to be honest, uh, uh, for, for two seasons. So, um, you know, but it, it is one where we've seen an awful lot of Erling, you know, scoring great goals and bullying people and getting in behind, etc. Um, you know, Pep demands an awful lot of his players. His coaching on the side is, is non-stop. I mean, the times I've seen Jack Grealish and the like be berated by him in terms of he's not playing that role the way he wants and he's pretty ruthless he'll take him off you know whether he's a striker's coach I, I, I don't know because you know he'll take you off after 60 minutes and you think ah whereas I think Jurgen Klopp got it right with Nunes starting him as sub you know mm. coming on in the, in the community shield because if he'd have started he would have come off and then if you start and come off he'll, he'll be called a failure you know and um, you look at the amount of times clubs sign strikers oh, I've been a striker myself the best way sometimes to get a goal is often coming off the bench mm. and then and then you, you're integrated gradually. I mean, now the weight has lifted. I, I thought just thought that was really good management from Jürgen. You didn't want to start those games, David. <laughs> <laughs> Better I'd off the bench, boss. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know, y- y- there's something in that, right? Because if you'd have started that, Pressure. people were... Yeah, you're looking you know, over your shoulder. Yeah, and people pre-season saying his touch was terrible, looking at video clips and all this sort of stuff. You know, before you know it, you know, instead he comes off the bench, spaces are a bit bigger, he's involved in a couple of goals late on, and bang, you know, he, he's hit the ground running a little bit. What's your front three for Liverpool, actually? Well, if it, if it was 
if it was me, I, I think I think Louise has to play. I love I love Jota, and I love Salah, and I and I reckon that would be my three. Mm. There's so many options you. now. Like, there's so many options, and like Matt, like one of the question marks over Liverpool is like Mane going and. Like the debate around the front three has been interesting with Liverpool for years. That's why I often feel Salah has been underestimated. It, mm. you know, Firmino always got this huge credit. He's the one who links everything together. Mm. And like Salah and Mane is the one who provides the energy and that real fight and sets the tempo of that high press. And now Mane is gone. But like they've got the replacement already mm. in Diaz. Like Diaz was one of the best players in the league. Now, I know he was very quiet in the Champions League final, but mm. like in the last three, four months, he was exceptional and seems to have that little bit of bite and nastiness in him as the well American and the way. work rate uh, it, a lot depends on Nunes like Jota faded a bit it se- seemed when when Diaz arrived in and uh, the goals weren't quite as plentiful he's coming into the season with an injury like there is an opportunity there for Darwin Nunes if he can start quickly that it's quite straightforward for Jurgen yeah. Klopp again that it's, it's that front three there's so many games it's such a crowded calendar like everyone will get a chance but that maybe that becomes the new front three for Liverpool quite quickly well I, I think look I think there's not a little bit of disservice but that, that number nine role whether it's Firmino who you know is just incredible with the ball at his feet but obviously we know he doesn't maybe score the goals whereas Jota when he came in he was absolutely sensational he was sensational you know all sorts of finishes and goals ruthless as as that central striker. And when I mentioned Luis earlier, that's obviously Luis Diaz. You know, he was kept a little bit quiet um, um, in the cup final. You know, he was kept a little bit quiet. He faded a little bit in that game. But I think second season around, it'll be even better. So for me, Jota gets the starting role. And, Nunes and I think, is the David Conley of the team then? Well, I think... Off the Nunes bench. Ha- yeah, I think he has to... I, I think it's sensible to integrate him like that because... You know, he just signed a new deal, Jota. He, you know, he'll get plenty of games this season, as you say. They all will. But for me, first choice front three, Jota's in it alongside Salah and Diaz, Luis Diaz. Right. I, I, I think just finishing on City, I think that Grealish uh, future is so interesting mm. because if Haaland plays as the nine, Mares is the main option on the right. Now, maybe he can play one of Foden or Grealish on the right-hand side. But if Foden and Grealish are fighting it out for one spot on that left-hand side, like, Foden's going to win that battle every day of the week, David. Yeah, he will. Um, could you see him? That, could you see him playing Grealish a bit deeper this season? Um, I, I don't think so. My, my worry for Jack is where, where exactly he will, he will get into the team. I mean, it is a. I think it is a concern for him because I think he's tried to shoe on shoehorn him into the team at times last season and it and it and it didn't it didn't quite work so if you're looking at City's first choice 11 would he get in it I'm not sure mm. uh, who's winning the league then City <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think they will I think they will but I, I think I think Liverpool are running close 
Um, a lot of people feel that Tottenham are the team that can run the two of them closest if it turns out that the loss of Mane and Haaland coming in completely unsettles thing and there's an opportunity that you know Tottenham have had an incredible depth I was, I was trying to do my fantasy football team yesterday Johnny and I was looking at the score squad and they've got, about, they've got about 18 defenders it turns out now mm-hmm. uh, it, huge depth I, I still sort of feel that we're four games away from Conte having a complete meltdown and it's all just uh, breaking up at Tottenham as the way it generally seems to but when you look at Tottenham compared to, to where Chelsea are and things can change over the next 30 days of the transfer window with Chelsea uh, what's happening at Manchester United and even with the arrival of Jesus at Arsenal is Tottenham the pick of those four? Well I think if you look at the manager you know and the impact he's have he had and and he's going to have even longer now like from the get-go the way they ended the season as well um, you know smashing I know obviously Norwich but nonetheless you know smashing Norwich Son in form Kane uh, I mean they look they look very very strong the only thing I'd say is I saw them a couple of times last season live and you know they were sort of they struggled at times in the wing-back areas I mean you know Doherty, I think, is is like, if it was me, I'd be playing him right wing back rather than Emerson Royale. At times, I, I, I'm not sure on both Spurs wing backs compared to, say, Chelsea's wing backs, mm. you know. But I think when you have the players they've got, I think Bentancur is excellent, you know, Son, Kane. I mean, they've got, they've got real quality and they added to it. But I, I just don't know if their wing backs are as good as other teams, the top. You know, your Chelsea's of this world, for example, or the fullbacks of Liverpool. That it's only when you watch them live a little bit, you, you see where they fall down at times. So we'll have to wait and see. What of the others then? Chelsea are the hardest, it feels, to figure out at the moment because, like, they've obviously brought in Raheem Sterling and he seems to have been a real target for Thomas Tuchel. Even in the last 24, 48 hours, they've been linked with four or five other players that could completely change the way uh, we look at them and there might be some outgoings Timo Werner's been strongly linked with a move away Romelu Lukaku is gone like, this time last year we felt Chelsea were you know, in a real position prime to challenge for the title have, have they dropped off that much? Um, well I, I think certainly their form at the end you would say they have a little bit I mean they've probably I mean they lost Kunde which they might have wanted really that one to go through. I think Koulibaly is a good signing. I think Raheem will score lots and lots of goals. Um, but I don't know if they've totally solved that central striker. I don't. I, uh, I don't know what Johnny thinks, but I, I don't really think they have. Um, you know, last season at times it looked like a bit like a bit like Man City. Really, they were they were often struggling to find that central striker or who would play that central striker or who would get them goals. You know. We all know Werner's quick. He runs in behind, but misses a lot of chances. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not quite sure they've solved that. What's their ambition this season? It's kind of, you know, you, you, you imagine at best sort of fourth. Would it be at Do best third? I wonder. I wonder, like, if... I think Arsenal would be like signing, much better this season. Signing Sterling, uh, you know, gives them a... I still think Sterling again a player who maybe doesn't get the respect he deserves yeah, he's been exceptionally good and I was surprised that City would still let him go to Chelsea um, I think their ambitions are still 
quite high for Chelsea this season. Now, they're in a position where we thought in February, like, will this club exist coming yeah. start of the season to Thomas Tuchel moaning about and uh, not being given the money that he should have been given. And it does look as though like they have a lot to do. Like They've lost centre-backs. They want to bring in more centre-backs. They want to bring in full new set of wing-backs. So let's see where they are come uh, the end of the window. We're going to talk Manchester United with Samuel Lockhurst in a few minutes, so we'll come back to them. Uh, I've been told to ask you about the bottom three. I hate asking about the bottom three because it's a it's the most difficult one to predict because most of these teams are going to sack their manager. Somebody else will be in by Christmas, and it changes the entire dynamic of the bottom three. But it does seem... And something, again, I just noticed when we're doing season previews, an awful lot of them teams outside the lot of top six haven't done a huge amount of good business there's not too many standout players outside the top six in terms of arrivals into the Premier League and a lot of teams down the bottom like Bournemouth like Fulham are still in the midst of doing their work the promoted sides uh, and Forest the complete opposite they've signed you know half a, uh, signed a dozen players at this stage uh, who are you quite worried about at the start of this season me um I tell you what I'm worried about about certainly about Fulham and Bournemouth mm. I mean you, you mentioned Forest and and you know if you if you're Say Fulham, and you had Nico Williams, who did so well for you, and then and then he goes back to Liverpool. Then he ends up at Forest. You'll be worried, you know. They've only got two fit centre backs, Fulham. I think they played Villarreal the other day. They only had sixteen players. Um, if you go back to the last time they got promoted, they kind of kept with the same team, and they ended up then by Christmas with a team of loanees. Scotty Parker brought in a whole raft of players, but none of them were permanent. And in the end, it, it seemed like it, it was a club that was just built on on guest players, really. And then when they got relegated, that's a build again. <clears throat> I, th- I think I'd be really worried about about Fulham. Mitrovic will score the goals, we know that. And the next one would be Bournemouth. Because Bournemouth were built on the best defence last season. Mm. But half of it's gone. You know, Kale gone, Cook gone, uh, Nat Phillips gone, back to Liverpool. So I know Travis on a new deal. That's good news for him. But I, 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 I don't know. I think if you're if you're if you're Scotty Parker, I think you'd be worried. I think they lost to Bristol City preseason. He said he was he, he needed drastic improvement. And I think going up into the Premier League, if you're Fulham and you've only got 16 players, you've only got two centre backs. If you're Bournemouth and three quarters of your back line's gone, you know I think you'd be a little bit worried. The thing about just mentioning Mitrovic, uh, Mitrovic is as uh, I think he's one of those lads that like Dan would back him to be the the top scorer in the championship. But it's it's well he scored the goals in the Premier League as well. It's such a massive massive step up. Memories again of that Serbia game. We go back to it, uh, but like this is just a massive step up. Will he score the goals? Yeah, well, uh, you can sort of feel that he's a very good international striker and a good championship striker because yeah. he, he just lacks that tiny little bit of pace that yeah. maybe you need in the Premier League. Like the, a couple of other teams that are interesting at the bottom like Everton losing Richarlison and it feels as though there's a very bad vibe around the club at the moment you can imagine Goodison Park a month into the season and it's pretty hostile for everybody involved and Leeds who again have lost Rafinha uh, their best player now Patrick Bamford is back and seems to be playing really well in pre-season so maybe that changes things but Jesse Marsh is another one who the Leeds fans don't seem fully convinced by would you be worried about either of those in terms of relegation? Uh, I would. I mean, certainly if you're Everton, I think I think he's the. It looks like he's the bookie favourite at the minute. Um, you know, Frank Lampard to to go down. Now I know he's they've made some good signings. Um, I think Dwight McNeil is a, is a really good player, but his actual numbers last season were 
were dreadful. You know, I know it, it was a season where Burnley went down, but but nonetheless, I think he had, he had one goal, one assist, something mm. like that. Look, I think he is a good player, make no mistake, but he didn't have a, a great season last season. I think I think Frank will, will have to hit the ground running. Um, and I don't know, like Vinagre, for example, you know, we've seen him before at Wolves coming back into the into the Premier League, but he didn't play in the Premier League before, not that often, I don't think, for Wolves. Um, so I, I certainly think I'll be I'll be thinking that Everton, you know, the fans there. I, I don't think it'll take them long to turn if they get off to a you know to a bad start. All right, David Connolly, always part of our starting team. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the only place. It's the only place. It's the only place. Hopefully, that won't be replayed in a couple of months. <laughs> Remember when you said this, Nathan? Yeah, where am I, <laughs> uh, David? Great stuff. Cheers, lads. Take care. Uh, all right. OTBAM is brought to you live every morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. All right now, time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma. Come on, don't, don't be. No, I'm not. Yes. No. These are the parts of the show that's pressure, Johnny, when you're sitting in the presenter's chair. The papers are just them all thrown down here and now I have to find them. And now I'm going to start with the Times of London. Looks like you're Which is not where you want to start at all. Yeah. Henderson and United are right. This is interesting. John Duggan's arrived in the studio as well. Nathan morning, and Johnny. John. Good morning. Uh, Manchester United. We're going to talk about them with Samuel Lockers. But what a mess. What an absolute mess. Um, Cullum, producer Cullum, Manchester United supporter, felt things are going well on the pitch. But off the pitch, uh, it's a shambles right now. It's never-ending carousel of... Dean Henderson, I saw these quotes yesterday and I kind of thought, oh, poor Dean, young lad, has done an interview, it's sort of been totally taken out of context, blown out of proportion completely, and then I sat down this morning and actually it's all there, mm. sitting down in front of the camera, uh, I bas- basically saying I got out of the club before the new manager came in, because if there's no shortage of confidence with Dean Henderson, mm. if he came in and saw me in training, he'd want to keep me, mm. but I made sure he didn't see me in training, I was out of here, uh, very annoyed, <laughs> was, told, was told he was going to be first choice last season. He claims was sold mm. was going to be first choice. Got COVID and never got back in, and basically wasted a year of his career. But it feels again, John, when you read this, that like it's open season at Manchester United. Like there is no respect for hierarchy. Anyone can say and do whatever the hell they want. Well, Eric Ten Hag uh, is that disciplinarian who's coming in. But the De Jong thing is really symbolic of the fact that you know are United as attractive as they were, and also um, the Ronaldo. It's it's a shadow over the whole club. Because uh, he's not a pressing player these days, and that's what Eric Ten Hag wants to do. So, um, the Ronaldo conundrum is the biggest cloud over Man United at the moment. And um, I went through the Racing Post; they do this thing called the Big Kickoff, mm. and there are about fifteen analysts, and every single one picked exactly the same top four teams: you know, Man City, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Chelsea. Nobody picked Man United. Nobody picked Arsenal. That's interesting. And mm. to me, it's. I think Ten Hag has got the right idea, uh, but it's a club where you've had too many leaks, too many disgruntled players, too many players. And what do United want to be? How do they want to play the game? Well, what do they want to be as a club? They've been played for a fool by Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, so I just... uh, The the Ronaldo has to get out of the club. Talk about, you know, undermining the training sessions not being right, Maguire. 
Oh my god! It, 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 it was interesting listening to Jonathan Wilson. We played out at half nine, and I think the detail is going to start to creep out once Ronaldo is gone as to just how toxic an influence he was. And it's interesting how the outside world's opinion and then the difference to the dressing room. So the outside world's opinion was: well, Cristiano Ronaldo is such a great professional that he can only be a positive influence on these young players. They, he will walk into that dressing room mm-hmm. and they will look up and go, "Wow." I now have to impress the greatest player of all time. We're actually walked into the dressing room with an unbelievable arrogance, tried to dismantle what was in place, no respect for the manager, and destroyed it, like, whatever positivity was at the club. Remember this time last year, we were looking at Manchester United thinking the front three had all scored 16, 17 Premier League goals. They're all going to get better. They're going to be the most exciting team to watch. They're probably going to be City's main challengers. And now nobody's even tipping them for a top four place. Well, Bruno Fernandes has not been the same player since Ronaldo came. Not at all, JD, no. Also, I was at the Leeds game in February at Elland Road and Ronaldo walked around, just walked around the pitch. Ronaldo can't cope, in my view, with the fact that the talent is leaving his body. And he's he's not the player he wants to be in his mind. And he can't cope with that. And I think that's causing issues with him internally. And therefore, he's thrown his toys out of the pram about it. I I think his body language in games last season was exactly betraying what JD is saying there. Yeah, And maybe that's part of what made him great. That's utter, utter self-belief. But obviously, we all slow down. And uh, it's a a massive problem. They need to get rid of him. Um, But is he bigger than the club right now? If Ten Hag is this disciplinarian... He has a row with Ronaldo in the first half on Sunday, and Ronaldo leaves the stadium. Like literally, when he's taken off at half time, walks out, leaves the stadium, doesn't hang around afterwards. Like, it, it, as, and maybe it's just not good business sense. But if you're a disciplinarian, do you not come in on Monday and say this is done? Like, yep. don't come back. Yeah, Ferguson, Ferguson should not be involved. One hundred percent either. Yeah, um, like Klopp and Guardiola. I always think of Guardiola is the man. He is the star at Manchester City. Like I, I'm surprised that Raheem Sterling left, but they the just like Haaland. If Haaland's not cutting it, you know, there's only really one winner there, and it won't be Erling Haaland. Hopefully, he will. Who is the the Irish manager that had a brief spell as Man United manager post Busby? Frank O'Farrell. Do you remember yeah. the the stories of how like Busby sort of still had his own kind of like uh, office, and yeah. he was always yeah. subservient. How is Fergie still involved with in anything? That, like, another one. Just seems completely mad, and like Fergie obviously has a blinkered view on Ronaldo as well. It's funny that Fergie was the was the first person after fifteen years who changed that. Yeah, he was Fergie, mm. and now we've gone all the way back, and and now Fergie's that other person. <laughs> it's mad. In a purely footballing sense, it does mean United are in limbo going into the new season because it, most of the teams had their business done. So Liverpool signed mm. Darwin Nunez, Manchester City signed Erling Haaland. They've had a full pre-season with them. Who is the starting number nine for Manchester United? This weekend, is it Marcus Rashford? Is it Anthony Alanga? Is it Anthony Martial? Like, who is their star striker that's going to score them twenty goals? And like, do they now rush in if Cristiano Ronaldo leaves? And it does seem that all the signs are pointing towards Ronaldo is going to go to either back to Sporting Lisbon on loan for the like, it's just like insanity when you think about it, or go off to the MLS. Like, where are they in terms of their their first eleven? Like, they are in a way the most interesting team and the, the team that we know. Uh, least about in terms of those top four predictions because there is a possibility that actually the Ten Hag is brilliant and mm. that he gets everybody who's there back playing the way they were like he gets Marcus Rashford back to be one of the best talents in English football but it, 
it does feel unlikely. The, the Rashford, like the Rashford run, like his form fell off a cliff to such an extent. It's an awful, you know. We spoke with Aaron Connolly at the top of the show. It's a real leap of faith to think that he could come. I mean, it's it's one thing coming back to form, but to to make that much Langa is probably the more interesting one. Martial has been deeply frustrating. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, JD? Like it's uh, well, well, I think there's so much soap opera around the club uh, that it's not even in people's mind about what they're going to do. So uh, it's, it's, it's a huge amount of uncertainty. Whereas what you, you think whether Nunes will work out or whether Haaland will work out or whether Spurs with their effectively eight signings with the two other lads that joined in January or with Chelsea with Sterling and, and uh, Koulibaly, you all have a certainty about what they're doing. And as Nathan says, I don't have any certainty about Manny Laden until I see them in the first game. Mm. It's do, it, it must be exceptionally difficult for even the but, best but manager in the world. It is interesting to, that they did finish second, Tony, was it a couple of years ago? Yeah. Mm. Um, kind of a flattered second that season. Yeah. But the, the, for, for any manager to come into that dressing room, it's a, it's, it must be an incredibly difficult job. Um, and I wouldn't... Uh, but they're all difficult jobs. Yeah, it, like, yeah, Liverpool's a difficult job. It isn't, it isn't, it isn't. No, it, it isn't, it isn't. But if you inherited the Liverpool dressing room, you inherit a really good dressing room. Like, you inherit a car crash Man United. And you can't just go in and solve it. Like, even, like, look at the Maguire situation. Like, Maguire, Maguire, is Maguire, has Maguire become a liability now? Like, I mean... Maybe Ronaldo leaving changes things. Like, does he play? Like, what's is it? Is it Lissandro Martinez and Rafael mm. Varane as the centre back? Uh, uh, so they're home they, to Brighton. Are, are there just defects in Maguire's game? Is it the fact that is he just a little bit like Did, he had a brilliant World Cup? You know, uh, but everybody at that World Cup had a brilliant World Cup. Yeah, he had a great World Cup. You know, the other thing about the is like we we speak about Man United every bloody Saturday here. It's Man United. This Man, Man United have been an irrelevance in terms of title race for a long time yeah, now. But, so but, but, but it's like we have this history. In the second eighteen months ago, it, yeah, but they, yeah, they, but they were also obviously you know, that was, Johnny. They're the second biggest supporter club in Ireland. So. No, no, sorry, that's not, I'm not talking about the Irish context, but the, Man United as a club now, and you're talking about are they as attractive to a player? They're not really in a, they're not really a relevant club in terms of the, the, the top echelons anymore. No. They've fallen off that. Liverpool in the 90s. Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's, it, they're, like Liverpool have knocked them well off their perch at this stage, and it will take time for Man United because City and the, the levels at City, I mean, even you look at Spurs and the signings that Arsenal have made and, and, and Chelsea, these are really good sides. They're probably, they've probably no chance of winning the league. So what chance of Man United have of being relevant this season. It John Claffey's Claffey uh, comment on YouTube: Ronaldo's the typical player Fergie would have got rid of back in the day. Mm. They'll still think United have a top four shot. Chelsea and Arsenal are known to hag even with no more signings should improve this lot. Uh, say United Brighton. We got live on Sunday and off the ball. The two most interesting teams on the opening weekend, I think, are United and Arsenal on Friday night away at Crystal Palace. Yeah, this feels well, that was the fixture last season that they. Mm. This feels like Arsenal's right. biggest game in years. Yeah, like there's so much positive momentum behind them. And it's the sort of game against the Palace side who I think could have a really good season and would be brilliant to watch with Eze and Zaha and a lot of good attacking talent. Like all of the hype and everything around Arsenal, like the bubble bursts instantly mm. if they don't go. What happened Palace. last season at Brentford? Mm. The first day of the season, they lost their first three last season, but yeah. they had a good season but, there. But, after but, the, but the, the question mark of Arsenal is still: Are they too soft? And Palace on a Friday night, and I'm glad all over. They'll be all singing. It's a great atmosphere at an evening game. Was at an evening game there a couple of years ago. They're good defensively. I think Vieira knows what he's doing. And this is just a test of Arsenal's character. Now, I think Gallagher is a loss for Palace, but I do think it's a test of Arsenal's character. If they get a 1-0, scrape a 1-0 win, that could be a great thing for them. 
Uh, what you got in the sports news this morning? Um, well, Rangers obviously with that uphill task now to qualify for the playoff round of the Champions League. Quite a meek defeat to Union SG in the first leg of their third qualifying round tie last night. 2-0 defeat, so the return game at Ivrox next Tuesday. Uh, Sean McCrover's got an interest in what's happening in that qualifier between Karabag of Azerbaijan and Ferenc Varos of Hungary this evening because the loser will play either Scoopy or Rovers in the uh, playoff round for the Europa League. Uh, Burnt Leno moving to Fulham from Arsenal, £8 million. Pounds. Uh, Dean Henderson we've spoken about there. Uh, Chelsea have agreed a fee with Aston Villa, £20 million for the transfer of Carney, uh, Chuck Wemeka, um, if I pronounce that correctly. I'll probably say it in a different way, 10 different times uh, between now and whenever it's Saturday. Uh, so he made 12 appearances for uh, Villa last season, the 18-year-old. Um, we know that John Eustace has left four coaches now. It'll be with Stephen Kenny. Uh, by the time the next person comes in, all for different reasons. Uh, Cricket-wise, Ireland face South Africa in a T20 international in Bristol this evening. Sligo hosts racing from half five. And uh, sad news from the world of American sports broadcasting, Vince Scully has passed away at the age of 94, legendary baseball commentator, uh, covered the Dodgers in Brooklyn, and then when they moved to Los Angeles for nearly seven decades, also was an announcer for CBS, NBC nationally, did baseball, did American football, did golf, and a uh, very you know, identifiable man, and uh, sad news that he's passed away. You just mentioned on the racing run, I just want to mention Wesley Joyce as well. Wesley Joyce had a shocking fall in Galway last week, and um, just want to mentioned that he's in the thoughts of everyone in racing um, it's, the information about him has been kind of very there hasn't been much coming forward because it's a perilous enough situation at the moment we just hope that Wesley will be okay because a fall on the flask can be uh, mm. can be bad and, and Wesley had a bad fall he's a kid who um, don't know if you know his story Nathan he, he's come from Moy Ross um, come from one of the, the, the sort of the tougher areas of Limerick and rose through the ranks through race um, and has done really well and I just hope that uh, things work out okay for him yeah, we definitely echo that. There's a road there. The, the, the road crossing, yeah. yeah. I think those road crossings, I don't know if they need to be looked at. But Yeah, uh, people look at, at race meetings and, they, you know, they think it's kind of, they, they don't understand the dangers involved, particularly if you fall on the flat at 40, give or take 40 miles an hour and horses are coming b- behind you. Um, it's very, very dangerous. And he's a young lad who hit a, hit a thump. Um, and I know his family are, are um, around him and uh, looking after him. And uh, let's just hope it works out for him. Yeah, All right. John, thanks as always. Nathan, Johnny. Uh, OTBAM is brought to you live every morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. A reminder that Off the Ball is heading back to Vicker Street in association with Cadbury FC. We've got a massive road show coming your way Wednesday, August 17th. Ian Wright, Michael Owen, Karen Carney and Emma Byrne are going to be our guests on the night. There'll be some brilliant stories reminiscing on their time in the game and also looking ahead to the new season. It is an exclusive off-air event. Tickets go on sale this week, so keep an eye on our social channels. A reminder that ticket proceeds will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. Terms and conditions apply and we hope to see you all there on the night. Now, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the Chief Manchester United writer for the Manchester Evening News. Samuel Luckhurst is with us. Uh, Good morning, Samuel. Good morning. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, we are. Well, there's never, never, never not something to talk about. Anyway. Certainly, when it comes to Manchester United, we've we've just been uh, talking about the lack of talk of Manchester United and what will happen on the pitch in terms of formation and structure, because it is an absolute circus again this summer with Manchester United, particularly around Cristiano Ronaldo and. We've spoken to a few different people on this over the last few days and the signs seem to be pointing that Ronaldo won't be there at the end of this transfer window, that it could well be a move on loan back to Sporting Lisbon. What, what's your understanding of what's likely to happen over the next couple of weeks? 
I think there's certainly a conscious effort on Ronaldo's part and, and his team's part to try and keep him as relevant as possible. They've had Chelsea mentioned, you've had Bayern Munich mentioned, Atletico Madrid mentioned. Uh, some of those links have, have been credible, have been concrete. There have been some discussions in the case of others that there haven't been any discussions and some of the clubs have been a little bit bemused by it all. As, as far as Sport and Lisbon are concerned, it's it's another obvious team to link him with. It's, it would be going back to Portugal. It's the team he, he started his career at. And most importantly, they're a Champions League side. Qu- quite how they would actually afford his wages, I don't know. Uh, that That's the other stumbling block there. But again, I think as long as Ronaldo's at United, uh, his team, uh, obviously, George Mendes is his agent. And normally in football, if, if, you, if there is an agent who can make the impossible possible, mm. it is George Mendes. But for those of us who are United... How how much of a motiv- motivating factor for Ronaldo is money right now? Well, he's had a big salary cut by United not qualifying for the Champions League. All the players have had a twenty five percent hit um, as, as far as their, Our their thoughts and prayers are with Ronaldo at this time and all that. <laughs> Yeah. I know, I know. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why Nottingham Forest had no problem covering all of Dean Henderson's wages, because although Henderson does uh, earn excess of uh, 100 grand a week, that's obviously been slashed to a to a five-figure uh, amount. So it's it's easier for Forest to be able to get a good goalkeeper in, a Premier League goalkeeper in, uh, to become their number one. But as far as Ronaldo's concerned, I, th- I think Champions League football and trying to remain uh, and, and stay among the elite is the major factor but obviously when you've got you're in a big salary and and you you take quite a hit to it and there might be another club out there who would offer you more that's that's always going to be an incentive but i do genuinely think that that sporting reasons do um do trump the money in this case what what are the feelings samuel around manchester united fans at this stage um, from your perspective in relation to ronaldo it's a little bit mixed it's that there has been a shift in mood because of how they've played in pre-season, particularly on the pre-season tour, where you've you've seen three twenty-something forwards play quite well, score, move fluidly. It was quite telling that at halftime of the Villa game when United were two 0 up, and again the front three had been playing very well. That Ronaldo posted that. A photo of him working out almost again just to try and stay relevant to remind people that he's still around that that he's still the man in in his eyes or the king as he said last week but ultimately he is the most dependable goal scorer in that team and it has got to the point now where because it has become a bit of a circus a lot of fans wouldn't mind it if he just packed up his tents and left town uh, a little bit like with the Paul Pogba scenario but with Ronaldo at least it won't go on for as long as it did with Pogba but if he does stay I think United fans would accept that because we've been in this situation before going back to 2008 he was agitating to leave for Real Madrid that year Sir Alex Ferguson got one more year out of him and then you had a season where th- there was a lot of scrutiny on him he would score a goal he wouldn't celebrate that was a story the Madrid speculation, well, it wasn't speculation. It was, you know, it was, it was concrete information. That was, that that kept on going up until the point that he did finally leave the club a year later. So f- for those of us who, who remember that, this is all familiar territory and this is the baggage you get when you when you sign Ronaldo. Nathan spoke about this before you came on, how um, he had this, you know, this reputation maybe that, you know, he was such a professional in the dressing room and 
this didn't prove to be the case where he was effectively a prima donna from the outset. I, I guess from looking at it, from my perspective last season, whatever Ronaldo achieved, and I think you can debate this, whereas he, you, you mentioned Samuel, the goals he scored, there was an absolute collective collapse in the offensive unit apart from Ronaldo. All of the other players, they're far more or less tailed off badly so is there is there is there murmurs from the dressing room in terms of like those attacking players obviously Rashford is the obvious one we mentioned as well Fernandez who's formed so Ronaldo must be some sort of a negative influence there in the dressing room well th- th- from what I uh, gathered last season his presence and his professionalism in the in the dressing room was largely appreciated particularly in the last days of of Solskjaer's reign he was pretty much telling the players that they they had to you know, remain 100% committed to give as much as they got, even if they didn't believe in the manager. He, he was quite open about not backing Solskjaer, but it didn't stop him from trying to affect results and, and gain points. And you go back to Solskjaer's last weeks, he, he got a couple of stay of executions because of Ronaldo, whether it was the winner at Tottenham or the, the two goals he scored against Atalanta. It delayed the inevitable, but Ronaldo was one of the few players who you could definitely say was still trying and and, and putting a shift in. And although Rangnick had uh, reservations about him, Ronaldo ended that pretty disastrous tenure as United's best player as well. Again, there's a lot of baggage with him. He's earned that because of the brilliant player he's been. And there are unedifying sides to, um, to his not not his game as such, but his his makeup, I guess, his personality. Obviously, some didn't like the fact that he left the, the stadium early on Sunday, even though other players left as well um, before before full time. And and he's going to get more scrutinised than others because he is Cristiano Ronaldo. But he is by and large appreciated by by his teammates. There will be some players who will be hoping that he does go. I would imagine Maguire is one of them because he certainly felt cowed by Ronaldo's presence at United last season. And it, it, it was common knowledge last season as well. It got to the point that Ronaldo really didn't necessarily rate Maguire as, as United captain, but he wasn't the only one there. There are a number of players in that dressing room who are still at the club who just do not believe in Harry Maguire as United captain. So just on that, Samuel, is that, is that personality-wise or because of the quality of his play? I don't think so much the quality of his play. I think there's an appreciation that he is a good defender, but ultimately, and this is an opinion shared by a lot of United supporters as well, they look at Harry Maguire and they think, you're just not, you're not a Man United captain. And he's not the first. I mean, the, the recent list of captains has been an underwhelming uh, list. I mean, Antonio Valencia had it for a year. And I think in all his time in England, he probably spoke about a dozen words of English on camera. Then it was Ashley Young, and that only lasted six months before he went into Milan. And then Maguire got it just six, six months into his United career. So it was a pretty premature appointment, but he was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's man. He was the £80 million signing. He was on a six-year contract. It, it made a lot of sense from, from the manager's perspective, but objectively, there were a lot of issues with making Maguire captain. And so that's proved to be the case um, looking at last season. It's so it's so important to Simon is that when you look at Henderson and you look at the, the Liverpool what they are what they embody and this was a, a feature of Man United because Maguire you could tell I mean you could tell from looking at his performances he's not he's, he's not a bad footballer but you could tell he was making mistakes and his body language he was all over the place but this lack of leadership it was a serious serious issue you could tell uh, in that team week to week. 
it certainly was, and I didn't notice it at the time, but when Ronaldo scored his third goal against Norwich to put United 3-2 up again, they were 2-0 up, it went 2-2, it was spiralling, Pogba was getting abused, uh, but then Ronaldo did what he often did last season and he won the game. It, there was a clip afterwards that a fan had filmed of Maguire in that he was the only outfield player who didn't celebrate with Ronaldo. And a lot of fans picked up on that to the point that a few weeks later, when I was, I think, in attendance for the last home game of the season, uh, Ronaldo came off. Or he was getting a round of applause for something. And some supporters noticed that Maguire was sat down and not applauding. And they started to give Maguire jib over it. Um, they asked him to, to show some effing respect, I think, I believe was the, the words used by one supporter. So, so Maguire has lost a lot of confidence in the fan base. Uh, he's a lot of lost of constant a lot of confidence among teammates. But then when you go look at the the booing he received recently in Melbourne, s- certainly things like that can work in his favour because it will you know whip up the other section of the United fan base who are supportive and who would never turn on the players to get behind him. And that certainly happened last season after the you know booing from in great England fans during the March internationals. Something that Ronaldo and Harry Maguire do have in common is that they topped this list that was released <laughs> yesterday of most abused players on Twitter last season. Yeah. It was research carried out by the Alan Turing Institute and Ofcom analysed 2.3 million messages directed at Premier League players over the last five months of last season. It found 60,000 posts deemed abusive, with 68% of players in the top flight receiving at least one message in that period Uh, Ronaldo received the most followed by Harry Maguire and then Marcus Rashford eight Manchester United players featured in the top ten now part of it is I'm sure Cristiano Ronaldo has by far the biggest following on social media so maybe is always going to attract more but Harry Kane and Jack Grealish the only non-Manchester United players in the top ten again it just underlines this huge negativity that seems to be surrounding the club at the moment yeah, there, there's a, quite an easy way of separating certain fan bases on Twitter. And for some time, it's appeared that United's have been the angriest because they've not won anything in five years, because they're mired in um, all sorts of uh, shambles from, from time to time. Uh, there's, there's Last season, they couldn't go a month without a crisis. It felt like there was a crisis every week. I suppose Ronaldo's towards the top of that list or tops that list because you've got this rivalry with Lionel Messi fanboys on Twitter because Ronaldo by and large doesn't get much abuse at all from well he doesn't get any abuse from knowledgeable and sus Manchester United supporters with Maguire I I, I thought he might have been you know in a league of his own because he has really copped a hell of a lot of flack For, for quite a long time at United there's there's this warped faction of the United fan base uh, it's which is quite bizarre in that they do not like English players playing for England's most famous football club uh, that was an issue when Dean Henderson was vying with David De Gea for the goalkeeping uh, position just over a year ago it, it was just blinded by some supporters preferring a foreign goalkeeper and abhorring the prospect of an English goalkeeper being in goal and there are some who think that Solskjaer showed um, too much solidarity with English players last season. I, I can't see any proof of that. I mean, just take Marcus Rashford, for example. Mm. He dropped him quite quite quickly after he came back into the team and, and Rashford felt that his development was was hin- hindered by, by Solskjaer's management and lack of coaching. He, he wasn't someone who stepped onto the training pitch. 
But as you say, uh, with with the season starting just four days' time and for them to have only made three signings, only sold one player in this summer where there was supposed to be this massive squad rebuild, they're massively behind the curve again. But I don't think there's been a point in the last last nine years where they've actually been ahead of the curve at all. So just to put a wrap on the Ronaldo situation, like we comment in from John Claffey saying Ronaldo's the typical player Fergie would have got rid of back in the day. And Ferguson is obviously involved in this now in the background. But in terms of what happens next, like I'm sure there's a huge PR angle for this because from Eric Ten Hag's point of view, like it'd be a big PR win if he's the one who decided, if publicly it's seen that he decided, I'm not putting up with Ronaldo leaving our friendly before the end of the game. I've had enough. I want this guy out of the club. Whereas Ronaldo's people clearly want to be seen, well, you know, United aren't a Champions League team. He's going back home to Sporting Lisbon for the love of it, for the love of it. Like, the, How is this going to develop over the next couple of weeks? It wouldn't surprise me if it goes until uh, deadline day, just because that's the way the player and his team are operating. And United, are, you know, their hands are tied unless they get an acceptable bid that comes in. But it, it is something that's where, where Ronaldo is actually back in the fold again. I think it's only going to intensify. It was quite noticeable during a stoppage in the first half against Vallecano on Saturday when Ten Hag made a beeline for Ronaldo. Obviously, all of us, the press box was pretty sparse, but those of us there were scrutinising what was going on. It was quite apparent that Ronaldo didn't necessarily appreciate what Ten Hag was saying, just going off the body language. But when Ronaldo comes out on Instagram, on, on you know, commenting on an account that that worships him, that he follows, and says the king is playing on Sunday, that that's a power play in itself. You can imagine the way Ten Hag is trying to manage that squad, and he has managed it very well from what we've observed on the preseason tour. He's he's brought discipline back in. Uh, authority has been restored to the manager's role at United. That's not been there for four years, dating back to the summer. Jose Mourinho's last summer where they undermined him and they didn't back him because then his replacement was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and one of the first things he did was to empower Paul Pogba which was again just kowtowing to this player power cottery at the club and that's only ended because Pogba's gone and a couple of others have left as well so Ten Hag has got the authority and, and United are backing him but unless they get an offer that's going to be deemed acceptable that reflects the last year of the greatest goal scorer in the game's history contract, um, they, they can't do much about it. And they've got to try and make it work with Ronaldo while he is still there. But as we saw last year with Juventus, uh, that, that deal to United happened very late on in August and United only signed him because he was, he was going to join Manchester City. So when push comes to shove, maybe a club will be tempted to go for him. But Atletico, Chelsea, Bayern Munich, despite all the noise that's been uh, whipped up by Ronaldo's camp, there's not much noise uh, or or much interest coming from those clubs whatsoever at this stage. So United start their season against Brighton on Sunday at Old Trafford, 2 o'clock kickoff. It's going to be live on Off the Ball. The first day of the season is the most difficult one for commentators because you're trying to figure out what's been happening in pre-season and new signings and who's going to start where. And United have signed Lissandra Martinez... Terrell Malaysia in defence and then Christian Eriksen has come in as well what is the Manchester United team likely to look like on Sunday in terms of formation and in terms of who will be getting a start do my job for me is what I'm saying basically Samuel <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, it would it would seem like they will go with 4-2-3-1 and I think maybe only one of those new signings will start um, Ten Hag has prioritised continuity across pre-season so rather than just 
um, completely changing the start and eleven for for one game. He's he's tried to maintain, as I say, match rhythm, uh, bedding players in. Victor Lindelof, who is effectively the fourth choice centre back, he's actually started in five of the preseason games. The only one he didn't start in was the Vallecano game on Sunday, which was reserved for the reserves, if you like, because United played against Atletico Madrid in Oslo on Saturday, and. It is, again, remarkable when I say that they've signed three players and that one of them is an out-and-out central midfielder. So the likelihood is that the midfield on Sunday against Brighton will be Scott McTominay and Fred, which you can imagine the meltdown that's going to cause on Twitter when the team is confirmed and it's those two again. Fred, in fairness to him, was one of the few players who actually performed well under Ralph Rangnick and he's had a very good pre-season as well. With McTominay, he has a ceiling and that's been apparent for quite some time. And maybe Ten Hag can improve him because United actually now have a manager, who, a permanent manager who does the coaching, who leaves the office and manages players um, in, in a very specific way. And the, the, the drills they've been doing in pre-season, having observed them, have been very innovative and there's always been a purpose to them and, and United are trying to play a more sophisticated, uh, proactive pos- possession-based style. And you could see how well the players actually adapted to that, which was maybe one of the more surprising things on tour that the players proved that, that they're not, they're not bad players as bad as they were last season when they've got a good coach um, overseeing things, they can adapt quite quickly, but there's only so much Ten Hag can mask as, as a very good coach because although the football's improved and the coaching has improved, the squad has barely improved. They're so short or or light of proven attackers. And at the moment, they're hanging their hat on Anthony Marshall to be the the dependable goal scorer of the number nine. And certainly entering the summer, his future was extremely uncertain. Um, There was not a lot of fanfare about him whatsoever coming Mm. out from Old Trafford. But he's the starting number nine, yet... You look at his time at United, he's had seven seasons there. Only two of them have been genuinely good seasons. He scored eight goals for the club in the last two seasons. And when he's presented with competition, whether it's been Ibrahimovic or Sanchez uh, or Cavani or Ronaldo, he's crumbled. And so it wasn't a surprise on the pre-season tour where he was completely devoid of any competition that he played well. And he's, he's impressed the coaches and he'll certainly start the season but whether he's going to all of a sudden transform into a um, you know mid twenties goal scorer for for the upcoming season remains to be seen. So you know I think it's pretty clear at this stage anyway that they're going to be active in the transfer market right up until deadline day because they're just too short in too many departments still. And the central midfield position, you mentioned McTominay and Fred and uh, what inevitably will come at the weekend when they start in that two in midfield. I sort of assumed throughout last season that like Declan Rice would be a Manchester United player this summer. Like it's been, He's been linked with them for so long. It's such an obvious player to come in and take hold of that position. Like, have they done anything about that central midfield role? And is there a reason why their interest in Rice from the outside looks like it's cooled? They just could not get him this summer they are restricted uh, by the profile of targets they can get because they're not a Champions League club anymore they've just had their most disastrous season probably since the relegation in 1974 they are a tough sell uh, to a lot of players the players the calibre of players that they would like to have and in Rice's case with his contract situation I think West Ham were always confident they could keep him for one more year 
but there is going to come a point where they're going to have to sell him because his resale, his, his uh, value made dwindle. He's not going to want to be at West Ham for the rest of his career. Let's be in frank. Uh, let's be frank about that. Um, West Ham had their best season in years and years and years last season. United had their worst season in decades, and United still finished above West Ham with, with David Moyes there. Very good coach there he is, and he's done a really good job at West Ham. Again, there's a ceiling, and I think last season was probably as good as it got for West Ham. I, I certainly don't see them finishing above United this season or mm. forcing their way into the Champions League. Uh, maybe they'd have done it last season had they won the Europa League, of course, but they fell short there eventually. So Rice was just not on the agenda for United um, this summer. Last summer, they probably had a better chance of, it, of signing him. But again, he was unattainable just because of the length left on his contract. And obviously, I think West Ham can trigger it by by year as well, which just de- delays the inevitable um, because, again, nobody envisages him uh, seeing out his career at West Ham or signing a new contract there. So that's why they've been in for Frankie de Jong for, I believe, it's 12 weeks to the day since they first <laughs> contacted Barcelona about him. And the only reason they're in for Frankie de Jong is because of the manager. Um, if they'd hired Mauricio Pochettino, they would not be touching de Jong with a barge pole, but they are continuing with this potentially disastrous pursuit of De Jong because they're emboldened by Ten Hag's working relationship with him despite all the you know pretty pessimistic noises coming out of De Jong's camp and coming out of Barcelona I think Samuel touches on it there the like that's for a West Ham player Manchester United was a hard sell and they for other players and there are, John Duggan said it here earlier Samuel there are Obvious echoes now to Manchester United right now and Liverpool around about the time I started sporting Liverpool in the Graham Soonest days into and then you had Roy Evans and just it became a bit of an irrelevance in the title race. That's where Man United are at the moment. It's it's a really fascinating parallel because with Ferguson being brought back into the fold or certainly being consulted more on, on certain matters and David Gill being consulted more on certain matters, it's it's almost as if they are trying to prolong this boot room culture Mm. that Liverpool tried to. And when Liverpool did it, it didn't work. It failed. It was only when they abandoned that culture completely by empowering Julier in, um, in in getting rid of Roy Evans and making him the standalone manager that success returned. Uh, I think a lot of people forget it it maybe came back to, it got more publicity when, when Julier sadly passed away, but Mm. he did a terrific job for Liverpool um, winning those, um, those three trophies in 2001 and then getting them up to second the following season and United, I mean, Ibrahimovic touched upon it in his book. I think he said they were stuck in the past uh, with, with what they were doing. They are trying to be more progressive with the way they do things. But when you bring in Ferguson back into the fold, who absolutely great, you know, great manager that he was for United and did great things for that club. But I don't necessarily think that they should be, you know, con- seeking his advice on things when he's been an ambassador for nine years and David Gill was an extremely overrated chief executive as well it was just a case of Alex Ferguson asking him to sign players and he would sign them and in the case of maybe Wesley Snyder or Meza Ertz or all these other players that they didn't sign he didn't sign them um, but I think because he's associated with the glory days it, it colours pe- a lot of people's uh, view of him that he's this figure of success and he should be integral to getting United up and running again and making them a credible force. But they just can't separate or divorce themselves from 
the glory era, they have to have some form of attachment uh, with someone there, whether it was the ludicrous decision of, you know, keeping Solskjaer as long as they did or re-signing Ronaldo because he was only going to join Manchester City. And until somebody comes in and is objective, and let's face it, Rangnick was an objective troubleshooter there last season. He was fascinating to listen to. Not a particularly good manager, but I think his way in terms of how United should operate was pretty sound. And his his, his consultancy contract was ripped up before it had even become active. I think Ten Hag was not even a week into the job when when Rangnick was was let go. And we could see that coming as well. But again, for, for those of us who, who cover United uh, quite quite meticulously, um, I, I just don't see the sense in this attachment to the past. I think it's it's becoming a weakness. Uh, to wrap up, uh, the lads on TalkSport had said, couldn't believe their luck when they sat down with Dean Henderson yesterday, uh, where he went to town on Manchester United. Uh, obviously, was backup keeper last season to David De Gea. He said he was promised that he'd be the number one. Said, I turned down so many good loan moves last summer for that reason. And they say, and they wouldn't let me go. It was frustrating to sit there, waste 12 months. It's criminal, really. At my age, I was fuming. Has Dean Henderson got reason to be frustrated? Yeah, you can see why United never put him up for interview when he came back to the club for those two seasons. And I think he said that as well yesterday. He said, it's evident I've not been, I've not done an interview for two years, even ahead of Europa League games or Champions League group stage I, I, just games, don't, I just don't know why. I just don't know why they wouldn't let me speak. I know, I know. But I, I, I did that story last year that he, he was promised to be number one, but then he contracted COVID. He was laid low with it. The transfer window closed. But again, that was just indecisiveness, classic indecisiveness from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in that he, he didn't follow through with that decision. Tom Heaton rejoined the club on the understanding that he would be the number two because United intended to phase out De Gea, probably try and get him out on loan because there was no way a club who are dreadful at selling players would have sold their most well, their highest earner at the time and someone who had three years left on, on his contract. Um, but then what happens is that De Gea ends up being the player's player of the season and uh, finished runner-up to Ronaldo in the fans' player of the season because Solskjaer just did not have the courage to stick to his guns uh, and, and go with Henderson, which was the original plan. And Henderson got fobbed off a couple of times in the uh, 2021 season where Solskjaer promised him he would start games, then he'd renege on that pledge and De Gea would start that season was remarkable in that Henson only became the number one for a short period because of a pregnant woman. De Gea left to, um, to go on paternity leave in Spain when his wife gave birth, uh, I think in March of 2021, which nobody would have blamed him for, especially at that time with, with the pandemic. And that's the only reason why Dean Henderson had the run of games that he, that he did and became number one, as I say, for a very brief period. And then, it was it was COVID that allowed Solskjaer to restore De Gea as number one the next season and Henderson barely got a look in. And, and let's face it, Henderson was not the only player at United who suffered because of Solskjaer's indecisiveness. Donny van der Beek, Jesse Lingard, Edinson Cavani, Axel Tunzebi, Diogo Dallo, the list goes on. There were so many disgruntled players because Solskjaer's man management, which certainly at the start of his reign was was tactful and certainly successful um just just wasn't working anymore and as i said he, that indecisiveness just didn't help the the dressing room dynamic at the mm. club 
Alright, Samuel Lucas, there's uh, plenty to talk about as always when it comes to Manchester United. That was great stuff. Yeah. Thank you ever so much. Thank you for having me on. Alright, you can get your messages in as always. I haven't, on had, I haven't had him on before um, while I've been on. I thought, thought he was excellent. But he refused to come on with you previously. He's just like, a, he's Not an encyclopedia and he's so, he's, he's almost like um, the antidote of what it must be like to be a Man United fan. He's just so laid back and measured in everything he says and uh, it's, it's that boot room analogy is quite interesting because I mean, but also the one thing I think with the comparisons to Liverpool come up is like time moves so quickly when you think yeah. about it. Like the year two thousand is ten years since Liverpool had won the league, and it felt like a lifetime. Maybe because of the age we were, but like it's nearly ten years since Manchester United. So all those kids who were eight to fifteen, like they don't, they now don't remember Manchester United being world dominant. Yeah, it's it's true, and uh, you, you know the, the the game has moved on so fast as well. Like the the way that Guardiola is playing now, and uh, the the Cla- in fairness, these Klopp and Guardiola eras with the kind of the, the failure of football in Italy, and obviously the the demise of Real and, and Barca. At least in the short term, English football is the place to be, and there's so much money in the game. So Manchester United are in the strongest league that there probably has ever been anywhere, and it's not like they're pathetically bad, but it well. takes. It they takes weren't a, far off at the time. They weren't, yeah. no, they weren't. But it takes a hell of a standard to be a challenger, and they're miles off it. Mm. And it's not. Um, I just think, how can you go? I, I'm not trying to be ageist here, but how can you go to Alex Ferguson after all the time he's been out of the game and try and try to use him as a sort of a means to bring Ronaldo in? Who's Ronaldo? Well, it's the, the, he's, he's clearly got an incredibly close relationship, and maybe they thought Ronaldo will be honest. We can push the agent to one side even though George Mendes is in the crowd and we'll, we'll leave him out of the room we'll shut the door we'll put Ronaldo and Ferguson together mm. and we'll get some honesty and if Ronaldo wants to go we'll let him go but if the agent is pushing him and really he wants to stay maybe we can turn this around whether that's the right thing to do or not I'm not sure he has to He has to be kicked out as soon as possible maybe Samuel's right it, and in true Manchester United fashion not only in terms of the player himself but in terms of the the, the storyline just going on until the death it, it will go on I guess until transfer day but he, it's, it's untenable for, for Ten Hag to have any sort of a, you know, stamp on things he has to go obviously I thought we were going to have to do another 15 minutes with Samuel when he mentioned that Dean Henderson was only number one because of a pregnant woman. I thought this, this, like, this, this is going to be Revelation. something incredibly salacious. We got a headline was, out of it. It was David Ahea's wife. We definitely got a headline so out of it. Was, it was misleading it was, it was headline. There was nothing uh, in it, but uh, yeah, great stuff from Samuel there. Uh, OTB AM brought to you live every morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. OTB Sports Radio, always available on the OTB app. One o'clock, Chris Waddle, Football Magic, well worth listening to. Koi Giga 3, a retro panel then from four, and then Michael Owen talks life after football from 6 OTB is live on the radio and news talk from 7 tonight with Joe and you can follow off the ball across all our social channels subscribe to YouTube and be sure to download the OTB sports app for the latest in sports content and analysis after the break it is the return of Deal or No Deal with Phil Egan two days out from the start of the new Premier League season my first day's training I was driving home I was actually thinking regretting it what have I done I've like walked into a circus it's amazing, isn't it? It's back. It's back. Deal or no deal. Phil Egan is in studio. Some people aren't happy about it, though. Johnny Ward literally just upped and left. He was sitting here 10 seconds ago and said, I've got to go. Gotta go and has walked out of studio. We hadn't even got our teeth into any deals yet. But what, well, did, what did you do to Johnny? Nothing. Nothing. No, do you know what it is? You're a croaks man. And you've Shane nabbed Walsh, Shane Walsh. Walsh. Are, you not, are you not embarrassed as a croaks man for what you're doing to the GA? The entire fabric of the GA has been ripped apart by your club. Um, no. 
That's just part and parcel of it. I, to be honest, the prospect of going to watch Paul Mannion and Shane Walsh playing in the same full forward line, if it goes through. Like, does it put an asterisk aside anything they achieved this year? Like, you think of the purity of clubs like Jude's. The purity of clubs like that. Is trying that where, to do things the right way. Is that where you've uh, put the, dropped the anchor? Jude's, is it? Damn right. Yeah, these right. are good tussles of Jude's, all right. But, nah, it's... No uh, one will ever forget the great county final of last year when it was... Scored us after twenty minutes. Yeah, that that like in fairness, Croaks did the the double last year, but they kind of not say stole both finals, but they uh, they took them in dramatic fashion. I'd say it's a pattern emerging. Yeah, big time. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I'm not sure if it if it's definitely going ahead just yet. There's a interesting story in the back of the mm. and they can't stop him they can, sure, surely they can't stop him like unless he's not living there but they, he, he says he is so um, yeah anyways we're not here for even though that could fit into dealer we could expand the, like if there was a GA transfer window it makes our life an awful lot easier it's got to be said like yeah. we could extend this show by an hour handy every day uh, dealer no deal Cristiano Ronaldo we've just been talking about him will he stay or will he go I think he stays because I, I don't know who who's going to put up or the, the wages for him so well, he's 37 now if you want to he's not going to go abroad he wants to play in the Champions League Obviously, he is abroad well he's not going to leave uh, when I say go further afield he's not going to go say to the Middle East okay. he's not going to go to the US um, because he wants to play in the Champions League he wants to just keep banging in goals in the Champions League chipping away extending that lead that he has at the top of the charts and he'd be worried if, if he doesn't play that someone could hunt him down but I, I, I'm not sure if that would happen but in terms it's just not a great start for, for United because they looked so promising on pre-season the, the front three of Rashford, Martial and, and Sancho and just so much more dynamic and there's, there's a unit there Ronaldo comes in he's going to score goals we know that but over the course of 38 games will Ronaldo be a plus or a Will he be a hindrance for, for Manchester United? And personally, I, I think that they would be better off without him. But it's very hard to get a, rid of a guy that commands such a, a big wage, weekly wage. And I, I get it, like Ronaldo's standards are so high. And unfortunately, right now, where he wants Manchester United to be, they're just not there. They but isn't the... <laughs> the irony is maybe they can't get there because of Cristiano Ronaldo this is definitely an aspect of that yeah possibly and they've brought in Eric Ten Hag to get them back to the top table and get them competing for league titles and he has to have a full say in what happens you know he says all the right things when he's on camera about Ronaldo but It'd be interesting to know what he really thinks. Ronaldo's performance against Ireland and Farrow is kind of the player he is at the moment. Like, he was absolutely awful in general play. Should have been sent off. And he should have been sent off, got a couple of goals. Um, But his contribution, like, there's no way Man United could ever win a league with Ronaldo at the moment. Like, because he does, there's so much of his play that's not good enough anymore. Um, No, he's got a goal. Yeah, he's got a goal. the way it is with United is it, I mentioned the front three there of Rashford, Martial, Sancho. At the like in recent seasons, none of them prolific. Now they're not like Sancho isn't that kind of player. Rashford had a spell, Martial had a spell where they were quite potent in front of goal. Now you've got a situation where when the ball 
falls to one of those three lads, they're not going to score as many goals as Ronaldo, but they're probably going to create more chances without Ronaldo. Uh, Frankie de Jong, a lot of speculation that Chelsea are going to come in and usurp Manchester United and get the deal done that maybe Frankie de Jong might actually want to sign mm. for Chelsea if that's the case uh, just ask Samuel about Declan Rice that's not going to happen United again been linked with Ruben Neves who will be Manchester United's midfield two by the end of this window well if it's Fred and McTominay then it's really not a great start to the Eric Ten Hag Era, not the. It's a bit underwhelming. Like I, I think the, the players that they've brought in, I like Malassia, the left back. Actually, whenever I watched Feyenoord last season, he and Luis Sinistera, who signed for Leeds, were their two best players. But they need a midfielder, and I know, obviously, Ten Hag wants Frankie De Jong. He, he knows him well. But if Frankie De Jong doesn't want to come to Manchester United, then you don't want players like that. Mm. Um, Chelsea seem to be their transfer strategy seems to be what are they doing across the road there or what are well, they doing well it seems to be there? led by Todd Bowley who you know, has come in with no uh, outstanding knowledge of yeah. football and as you say is looking around going oh well he must be good if they're interested yeah. we should get him but saying that Raheem Sterling and Koulibaly are two very good signings absolutely like oh, Sterling yeah. could well prove to be the signing of the summer mm. we're tight enough on time uh Mention it, David Connolly, looking through all the season previews, I'm surprised by the lack of movement from an awful lot of teams outside the top six and lack of exciting or even peculiar sign if you go, Geez, this guy, if it was to work out, could change things. Yeah. And like Leicester are one of them who you feel are almost and should have finished in the top four over the last couple of seasons, would be ready to kick on, but have done nothing in the transfer window and an awful lot of their players now have been linked with moves away from the club. Would you be worried if you were a Leicester fan? Yeah, I would be. I think when people do their previews at the start of the season, Brendan Rodgers is going to be in the conversation for who is the f- manager that could be the first out the door. I, would, I actually picked Rodgers, I think, a couple of seasons ago, and then they started off brilliantly, so I was left to look pretty foolish. It was off the back of the, the fact that they missed out in the top four. And then the following season, they did the same again and went to the final day. But there's a bet there that like is going to look so obvious now in a month's time, be a top scorer or a first manager to go or, or to get relegated or top six or something. Maybe Rodgers is the man. Yeah, I, I'd be kind I of looking at someone like Marco Silva maybe because mm. Fulham will have expectations to hit the ground running in the Premier League and if they don't, they'll just do what they always do. Uh, like Fulham and Watford are very similar in that fact. But yeah, you'd be worried with Leicester. They haven't signed players. They're very good at getting big fees for players like Harry Maguire uh, so well, on that then James Madison has been linked to Newcastle United Phil out of 10 how likely is this transfer right now I would say about 5 but see we're in early August we've a month ago you start the season badly remember the season is a week starting a week earlier because of the World Cup so it just gives you more time to get deals done and if certain teams don't start well they'll go to their their owners and say right you got to back me before the the transfer window closes but yeah it's like Leicester peaked and they probably need to reassess things and maybe start rebuilding and maybe they feel like Brendan Rodgers let's see what he can do but it wouldn't be the worst thing if it didn't work out be careful what you wish for 
uh, Cullum, our producers, decided to liven things up by adding some dramatic music to the background, and it fell very flat. It's got to be said, it sort of ruined the piece almost there. I, th- uh, I thought we did a good show. Prior to, to fit it, uh, pr- pr- yeah. prior to that, aside from you just disappearing for three minutes, which we were just meant to ignore. Yeah, well, but people didn't even notice until you just mentioned no, it. There, I, I'd already it, told it, them. it actually and never you happened. Oh, you already told uh, yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I, said I, you stormed. Uh, to finish, to finish up, then on the return of Dealer No Deal, Jason Knight should he leave Derby County? Yeah. Yes. League one. Thank Jesus. Are yes. we overestimating Jason Knight's ability no. if he hasn't left already? No, I think he's obviously quite a grounded young footballer that would have a sense of loyalty to Derby. I don't think he's the kind of player that's going to go knocking on the door saying, I want to leave. But I'd say there will be inquiries for him and then it's a case of sitting down with them saying, right, I think maybe it's it's time I leave. And whether that's high-end championship or a Premier League club let's knows, see how he's certainly he's, he's so talented I agree totally he, he really stands out any time he plays for Ireland that ability to be able to take a ball in tight spaces but he's so he's two-footed I love the way he dribbles with his left foot at times as well and, um, let's see how his former teammates Fessio Baselli who I think he's got is a terrific talent gets on James Abankwa, um Carl Heffernan and uh, Kerrigan all in Italy this season which is Aaron Connolly we probably Aaron need Connolly sorry yeah probably and obviously Fabregas one of us over to Italy yeah just okay. saying one of I'll us do it. namely <laughs> who <sighs> I, I, I love Italy I, I may, may have to go there for a wedding in October so oh, maybe I'll get it all while you're there John. do a bit of work do a bit of work that's more or less just done unless there's any more Kilmacud transfer news you want to get into deal or no deal no anyone else going after Clifford Paddy even that's it the Clifford brothers are signing yeah alright that was the return of deal or no deal I signed for them after the Euros and after my first day's training I was driving home I was actually thinking regretting it what have I done like I walked into a circus. It's amazing, isn't it? Whatever happened to those guys, eh? Whatever happened to those guys? OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow morning, half past seven. Owen Sheehan is going to be joined by Dan McDonald in studio. Yeah, supposed to be today, but we did a swap to, as ever, I facilitated him. He's at a press conference or something, yeah, so I was supposed to be tomorrow, so instead I'll have a lie-in until I was We'll have the second episode of our brand new series. yeah, sorry, you should mention. had to be there. Very briefly, yeah, Steve Doyle is doing a DJ set tonight in town, so getting up tomorrow morning early or not may depend on whether I go in the big romance in town. So, yeah, go along, see Steve, do mix a few beats in the Since Mauro Piccata at Talca Park, this is... I don't think they're related to be fair no but uh, that was that was a great night I def- definitely came out of Talk Park that night thinking every League of Ireland game should be followed by a DJ set in the bar because it would just maximise revenue and everyone would forget about the football <laughs> ok OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar